Download, bet, win. I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with win bet, it's just that easy. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. So if you're in Colorado or in Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, or right here in sweet Virginia, sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $500 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download, bet, win. And let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-270-7117. I set a goal in 2013. I had a patella injury and, and just kind of was getting frustrated with it. And I was like, if I get through this, I was like, I want to try to play till 40. And that was just kind of like, I didn't think it was realistic or that it ever happened. Um, but I was like, I want to try to do that. And so this year to me, it feels like this is it. I mean, this is like, I put everything into to trying to play this season and, and play the level I want to. And I feel like this will probably be the end, but I mean, also all my closest friends would tell you that I've said that for about seven straight years. So I don't know how believable it is, but it feels like it is. few different things coming down the pipe today fiscal year ending yeah of course it's over can you believe it yeah it was a good one uh andrew whitworth is going to be joining us massive tackle for the uh for the rams formerly of the uh, Bengals. you know who he is one of the best um of our generation and when it comes to longevity he's pretty good there too i mean he's gonna be 40 this year so we'll ask him about like what it takes to play that long matchups We'll talk a little shop, O-line, D-line shop. We did. We, we get a little too, too in the weeds there for your liking. No, no, no. As a lay person, I was entertained. You know, I, uh, I like to learn about the handwork, especially. I'm a big handwork guy. You know, use your hands. I know. I can see that. Yeah. Calloused. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't have a lot of speed. Yeah. yeah. So I need to. You got to use your hands. When, I'm, when, I, when I do rip curls yeah rip curls and then i and then i like to i like to do a lot of outside spin outside which you don't spin. see as you don't much see as much don't um, give away the whole okay. interview here right. okay. okay but andrew whitworth is going to be joining us uh love that dude good dude uh also doesn't he, he never takes credit for the work he does off the field like he does a lot of great work off the field so follow like his foundation um run him down on that stuff because he won't tell you he's pretty awesome uh also steven shock Big Donkey. Who, who you know as Big Donkey. You know as the guy who has uh, invoked Kenny Powers comparisons uh, in a Virginia uniform of all uniforms this spring. Uh, and Virginia exited the tournament last week, and we kind of had a, 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 a pot on the books with this cat. We've already done that. It was a lot of fun. There was one, one revelation for me that that was a game changer. Sensational. You know the, the backstory of how we first met. I mean, the backstory, as far as you're concerned thus far... Well, you, you haven't been told, but 
when I first reached out to this electric college baseball player who I only knew through my TV screen uh, and asked him to be on the pod, you know, figuring Virginia guy, I'd probably be able to snag him. He DMs me back a picture of, uh, of us hanging out together before at some juncture and said, uh, are we going to do shots again when we hang out? Well, obviously not because we had him on Zoom here. He got out of town as quick as possible and I don't blame him to get a little calm after the storm. But I thought because of a thing that we met in Amsterdam, it wasn't Amsterdam. So spoiler alert, uh, you're going to hear where we actually met. And it's much different than Amsterdam. There was a wardrobe thing that led me to believe I was in Amsterdam. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. Stick around. It's even better than the initial story in a lot of ways. Oh, I got my necessary roughness uh, review with Coach Wookie. Coach Wookie's going to come in and join us for Stephen Schock, you know, UVA baseball alum thing, and then we're going to coast into a necessary roughness uh, review and then get you out of here. Packed show. We'll try to move through it uh, as quickly as we can because Lord knows I want to go home. But little teaser, necessary roughness, ex- exactly what I thought it should be and would be. Review coming later. Ogden, Utah. Hello. A lot of ingenuity going on in Ogden, Utah. A quick wiki search would yield that uh, the founder of Chuck E. Cheese is from Ogden, of all places, uh, and the inventor of the catalytic converter. Wow. And Lord knows where we'd be without that catalytic converter. No, my cousin Vinny without that catalytic converter. Nice pull. Thanks. Cheese. How'd you come about Ogden? Just how you do everything else? Yeah. Well, do you want to peek behind the curtain? Yeah, I'd love to peek behind the curtain. Okay. I look at a Google image search U.S. states. And so then I get a map of the U.S. and I just survey the states. And I sometimes try to think about where we've been recently and I try to go somewhere else. You want to be fair. Yeah, I want to be fair. Fair as fuck. And so then I see Utah last night and then I go Utah cities by population. And I don't want to go with... Your Salt Lake City. No, it's I mean, so chalky. Shooting fish in it's, a barrel. It's salty, if, if anything. It's that's right. Chalky. It's salty. That's right. And uh, so scroll down the list, and then I just wait for something to pop at me. If if nothing pops, then I will go on to another state. At times, at times I'll I'll take some listener suggestions. This is like when somebody's like, "Hey, do you want to know a little bit more about the menu?" And then they tell nope. you all about the menu. And I'm like, no, I'm good with just the yeah, meal. Yeah, I'll have the burger. <laughs> but it is good to know that there is some fairness involved in how you're picking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like the little peek behind the curtain make. Yeah, Ogden, Utah, hello. If you're a traveler flying into Salt Lake City and then Reed. plan to drive up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you will pass through Ogden, Utah. I highly recommend continuing on to Jackson Hole via Logan and then Garden City there's Bear Lake State Park. Wonderful, wonderful milkshakes. I got a blackberry raspberry combo milkshake and the best milkshake I've ever had. Yeah, Reed's you crunchy, Reed's ass. crunchy ass. Man. Crunchy ass, He's Reed. like a crunchy ass almanac. He's been all the places that they shot the Teva and, and Patagonia commercials. And then you'll go into Alpine, Wyoming, which has, I know Jackson has cool antler arches. No, he knows all but this stuff. Alpine much bigger antler arches what about powder oh a lot of powder fresh pow pow yeah you hit it any time between december to april late april early may i can't get over that blackberry raspberry crossover that's that's like a it's exotic it's like oreo and cookies and cream people love uh blackberries but you know what you can only get up in montana where i'm gonna be soon well not only i suppose you could get it maybe somewhere else huckleberries Oh, 
Yeah, huckleberries are delicious. I didn't even know they were that's, a thing, if yeah, I can be honest with you. Dark horse berry. Definite dark horse berry. Layup line today. Relaxation, facing mind-boggling hallucinations. Easy does it to the skull, get your lungs full. Take a hit by Mac 10. Okay, so I watched the tail end of Friday the other night on TV. It's on um, TV a lot. Yeah, it's on TV a lot, as it should be. And um, found myself glued to the TV just like I was the last time I watched it. But what I always do is I go back through the Friday soundtrack, which is a sensational soundtrack, especially when you're a kid and you see Friday and then you go get the CD because you like the movie and it's got a roach on it. You don't really know what's going on on the cover of the CD, but it's a yellow CD and you get the track listings there. There are some sensational songs on that CD, on that album. Uh, it's going to be forever a CD for me. You can't even stream the whole thing like Spotify. Keep their heads ringing. You got Cypress Hill. You got Mary Jane, which is a great, great song that if you're a kid that first sees Friday and you don't know what Mary Jane is, you just think it's a really cool, melodic, old school, um, deep cut. In reality, it's doobies. Yeah, it's about doobies. Hoochie Mama uh, and I Want to Get Next to You. I mean, I want to get next to you as a classic, and I might have heard it for the first time on, on, on the Friday soundtrack. So big shout out to Chris Tucker and uh, Ice Cube, who evidently you'd probably be able to smoke under the table. I don't think the weed, again, was very good at that juncture um, in U.S. history. So I don't think Chris Tucker really had it like that. He was trying to quit. And then Ice Cube had never smoked. You forget that. He smoked for the first time in the movie in his uh, his life, and he looked to be about thirty in the movie. I mean, just like we just we went through this with Remember the Titans last week. Unrealistic casting of of appropriately aged actors. Ice Cube was pretty old to be taking his first hit. Good, bad, ugly. I'm gonna hit you with a one-two. Good, bad. All right. Okay. Good. Inspired by you, maybe you can take a a, a producer credit on this. I uh, located the weight bench in my garage, and then through some miracle. I located the bolts. The bolts were just sitting right next to it in a, in a, in a Ziploc bag. Yeah. I inherited this weight bench from my Uncle Bill, and I put together... Like in a will? The weight bench. No, no, no. Living Uncle Bill said, hey, I have no more use for this. Uncle Bill just doesn't prioritize pecs anymore? Oh, no. Well, maybe that's true. Well-built cat, that Uncle Bill. Maybe he was moving up in the weight classes. and. So I get this weight bench, and... Uh, your lovely wife used this weight bench I once upon a time the in, my, bench. in my basement. So I move houses. I put it together this weekend. Big win because, you know, we're, we're making gains uh, one way or another. Um, so bang, huge, good, awesome. My garage now has a weight bench. Bad. Um, elbow bursitis, I think is what I would call it. I put, I put a, a five on each side. So that brought us up to... 55 pounds yeah and i was just cranking them just cranking them because you don't want to go straight to the 225 no you don't you want to build up if you haven't done a, a bench press in a long time and i would think that would be a, a, absolutely imperative for you right so i'm just cranking 55s uh long story short eventually i get up to 95 i got wow. 25 on each side um wake up this morning elbows barking barking real bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on WebMD with the elbow bursitis. You know, it, it might it might be some rest. What it does might it be say? Some rest what in my it future. It says basically um, really painful, worse than any sort of like thumb fusion or ankle surgery or anything like that ever. 
um, says, it says here, boy, if you also have a torn labrum, you deserve some sort of award for trying to power through. I know, but just not from your workplace. Yeah. If so, redacted realty. If you're looking for some like workers comp or to get over on somebody, we have really good lawyers here. Yeah. Okay. Great. Between the point of the elbow and the skin, there's a thin sack of fluid known yeah, as a bursa. The bursa sack. Yeah. Bursas are located near joints and cushion your bones, muscles, and tendons. It's not a good feeling. I'll give you that. Yeah. When you extend your arm, it feels like somebody's stabbing you in the elbow sometimes. Right. So. May, Kudos to you. Moral of the story, maybe just stick with the bar for a while once you set up your weight bench. I got some good and some bad. Please. Uh, good. My, my family left for four days. <laughs> The bad, my family left for four days. I really miss those people. A strange thing happens when, when your family leaves. Namely, when your wife leaves, your lovely wife leaves. You have to find out what to eat on your own. Oh, yeah. All those nights of, come on, it's so simple. Like, make a decision. Well, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, like, make a decision. And usually, it's not till after Grubhub is closed. You definitely can't cook for yourself. So the, the, the interesting combinations of food that you fix for yourself never cease to amaze you if you're home alone. I mean, I stared at the freezer for five minutes. I would, you miss your kids, and then you just start eating their fucking food. I mean, that's kind goldfish. of the way it goes. Yeah, goldfish and that sort of thing. I'm staring down the chicken tenders. I was so hungry, I was looking to eat some cauliflower pizza, and I realized it was just the crust. You had to actually make the pizza, and there's no way I was going to make the pizza. I considered just making the crust for dinner. And? Didn't. Found a burrito, frozen burrito. Man, that was one of the most brilliant discoveries I've ever made. I could have starved to death this weekend. I mean, I could have ended up with my arm in the freezer like 127 hours situation. Like nobody would have cared. Nobody would have called. They would have found me on Monday. It's dangerous when your family leaves the house. The dog by, you know, some act of God is, is alive and well. Um, I actually had to write a note on the, the, the refrigerator water for the dog. I'm glad you did that. Okay, I have a water charity, and I had to remind myself to give my, my man's best friend water. So, yeah, you feel helpless when your family leaves. It's the ultimate good, good news, bad news. The good news is on the front end. You're like, oh, it's going to be so great. I'm going to do what I want to do. But then by the third day, you realize that you're just a, a blob. Did you do anything fun? <clears throat> yeah, I hit the river. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you had a good time? Oh, I had a great time. Are you hitting the river too much? No, there's no such thing. Because come fall, you can't really hit the river as much in the capacity that I hit it. And you're on water in Montana, but not so much a river situation. It's not moving like the James River. It's, okay. not, it's not like, a, it's not like a, a cradle that's just rocking you into a state of absolute bliss. I mean, okay. it's just, uh, just come by sometime. Float the river with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done it before. and, and You've and, done it. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. So your reviews aren't just coming from being a closed-minded guy. You just... No. I Hey, I'll, I'll hit you with another good bad. I went to the pool this weekend, and I can't stand pools. The yelling, the screaming, the splashing, it's all just gross. The peeing, the pooping, all of it. Code brown. None of it for me. One time I was on vacation on the balcony, nice resort. They legitimately were on the walkie-talkies talking about a code brown. Mm. I was like, surely that can't mean somebody shit in the pool. Yeah, the thing just floated into my line of sight, cleared the whole pool out. Code brown. Do you get in the pool? No. Well, I think I will. Are you a long sleeve t-shirt in the pool guy? Well, here's the thing. Yeah, talk about that. I, you know, impetus for putting the, the weight bench together 
might be hitting the pool and and saying, "Hey, that's what I'm saying." You know, I you know I'm not bottom of the barrel here. No, but I'm not the top of the totem pole either. You know. Well, I, usually uh, you'd reverse that and say, "I'm not top of the po- totem pole." You want to put the emphasis on. The- Hey, so I'm at the pool. I'm not top of the totem pole, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm not bottom either. Yeah, see reps just like on the bench. You just reps with that with that line. But, you know, my shoulders look like I'm a 12-year-old boy. And I'm a A lot of teenagers running around that pool. 30 something. <laughs> a lot year of old teenagers boy. running around that pool. Um, so, hey, like you want to get something to eat? Yeah, sure. And you see like a couple couple craft singles barely melted on a two pieces of white bread. I just don't like the pool scene. I'm not a pool person. That's all they have at the pool you're going yeah. to? Yeah. Here's, gr- here's a grilled cheese. What kind of pool are you going to? Cheeks. Cheeks pool. But apparently my uh, my five-month-old just rave reviews of Well, that's pool. another thing about the pool. Oh, yeah, because the baby loves to swim, right? Yeah. Oh, baby loves to swim. Yep. She's gonna, when she learns to talk to in about in 18 heat. months, she's, she's going to tell you all about this, <laughs> this right. trip that we had to make to the pool just so the baby could see the pool. Right. Baby shitting in the baby's <laughs> pants. Like, I know because I take the diapers out sometimes from the trash because I'm a good Samaritan. But, like, baby's not concerned with the pool. Uh, one big good thing this week, uh, some people had tweeted at us about, like, maybe breaking down the new helmet allotment in the NFL, the throwback news that dropped that in 2022. Teams are going to allow throwback helmets, alternate helmets with throwback uniforms. Am I butchering this? No, you're doing a good job. If teams are wearing throwback unis, they can now wear throwback helmets. The reason why you couldn't there for a while was because the NFL, always concerned about player safety, was worried that uh, if you throw on a second lid, it might not fit right. You might not have practiced in it enough. So now we have a nice long runway for everybody to be able to practice in their their alt helmets. And there are several that stand out as no-brainers. If teams are going to go back. Total no-brainers. I think there's some of these that fall into the category of, like, this is not necessary, but still great. Like, the O.J. Simpsons. We were talking before. We were like, how can we put that in a better way? Is anybody else on that team besides O.J. Simpson? And no no one out there can name a teammate of O.J. Simpson well, listen, on, the, on this, those Buffalo This Bill is teams. the most expedient way that we can talk about the, that helmet with the bison just sitting there, the red bison. You know the helmet? Because I said the O.J. Simpsons. The guy's walking free. Don't look at me. Okay? Hello, Twitter world. So, O.J. Simpsons, that would fall under the category of like, yeah, that'd be cool, but it's not necessary. I don't know. I, 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 I really like necessary. it. I really like it. The, the cat's just chilling. He's just standing there on his four legs. Yeah, he is. And there's, there's not a lot of movement. I mean, the Jim Kelly's brought in the, hey, this fellow's moving. Listen, Buffalo's in sports tend to have very cool uniforms. I mean, look at the the, uh, the the hockey team from up there, not the Sabre, the Sabres. The Sabres. Which I get confused the with the Predators because they have a Sabretooth Tiger. I mean, it's, it's tough. Fuck, it's Freudian slip or something. But like, yeah, Colorado Buffaloes, pretty cool. Oh, very yeah, cool. Buffalo Bills, cool. I mean, keep it going. Bucknell probably has cool uniforms relative to their cheeks profile. North Dakota State Bison. Bison. I mean, it's hard to miss with these with with the Bison. Um, yeah, I would put that under the category of like, listen, the Rams have been trying to do this thing where they wore the throwback helmet with like the regular. They played one game against Dallas a few years ago. It's just burned into my brain. I texted my boys. I'm like, what are y'all doing? All because of the NFL rules, though. 
They had the white uni you wore with the gold trim around the number sort right. of things, and then they wore just the white and blue helmet. It, right. it was it was awful. But yeah, I would love for the Rams to wear what I think you referred to as like the Jack Youngbloods. The Merlin Olsons. Forever. When I think about the white and blue, I think about Merlin Olsons, and then when you get into the LAs, that that yellow, yellow, and the blue, I think about you know Jack Youngblood, Eric Dickerson. Yeah, those those would be killer and then you could wear the white ones too sometimes right am i understanding that correctly yep. under this rule that's great stuff dude that's great stuff here's one that has to come back the oilers correct you need to just be the oilers again yes it doesn't matter dude this titans thing was cute over the past 20 years like we like the name it's cool the titans can become your throwback there's no like listen the lakers how many lakes are there in la probably a probably solid amount thousands <laughs> But not as many as in Minneapolis. Right. Okay, that's why they were up there. How much jazz is there in Utah? We've talked about this. I just read the demo on Ogden, Utah. It was 79% white. I mean, white guys are just not pumping out good jazz. Okay? Um, New Orleans is where the jazz came from. Okay? So, same thing with the, 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 the Nashville Oilers or the Tennessee Oilers. Who cares if there's no oil in Tennessee? Maybe there is. I, I think you got to change the whole the whole get up and then make your Titans your throwbacks. That's my opinion. Oilers, no-brainer. Dolphins, which they occasionally will break out, no-brainer. Yep. Uh, the Pats, go back to a red uni with Pat Patriot I on thought the white that helmet. They, have they worn the Pat Patriot helmet with that? Yes. Yes, That's but not. where it's weird to me. Like, how did they get the permission to do that and then the rule had to change so they could do it? Like they were the team that when I saw the mock-ups and they had to like mock up, you know, um, a Broncos helmet on somebody like the old Durham Bulls style Denver Broncos, the one that they should be wearing, or you know the Seahawks. Russell Wilson obviously d didn't w wear the um, the uh, Cortez Kennedys, um, Steve Largent, Steve Largents, but they mocked it up. I don't think they've even had to mock up Devin McCourty wearing. I, I think I've seen that. Yeah, they they wear that. I I don't know the answer. All I know is that it looks fabulous. It looks amazing. That should be their uniform. The yes. new, the the Patriots new uniforms. I know you like them. Well, given the constraints the of the NFL, the cheeks. They're an improvement on what was being worn. This is an amazing uniform. Yes. Dave Damashek parking the car in our garage, ours in his garage. I mean, Pat Patriot. Get rid of the flying Elvises. Go back to Pat Patriot. The Ron Jaworskis for the Philly people listening and be like, you haven't talked about us in a while. Okay? Well, you're pretty high up on the list as far as a city that should enjoy um, a long-awaited throwback. I mean, like, people have been talking about the Kelly Green. Kelly Green. For years, dude. Like, I can remember even before... I was there and I started to notice how much people talked about it. Like I knew that they should go back to the Kelly Greens. And I'm seeing the Ron Jaworskis out there. So that's a possibility now. John Elway's in Denver, no brainer. Great. Old Bucks. We haven't mentioned the old Bucks. That's a old Bucks. That's a no brainer as well. Uh the old Red Falcons helmet. I mean, I saw Matt Ryan in one and I feel like he's worn that before. He has, you're right. So what's going on here? You're right. So what's going on here? You know what I mean? We get the old Sean Merriman helmets. I actually am a big fan of the Navy uh, Chargers really? alternate. I think that was a really cool time and a place. See, the, if, I, if I'm the Chargers, I'm just like, we're, we're cool. Oh, they're great. 
They're great. They're the one team that you're like, oh, we got to wear alternates this right, week. Right. But still, it's a cool change up. And you got the Don Coriel helmets with the with the Number. the numbers and the the two bolts. You could bust those out. Seahawks mention those. Get those going again, man. I feel like we got to be forgetting something, but as a whole, it's a great thing. No doubt about it. Um, I'll speak to my my squad for a moment. <sighs> Have the Giants ever worn a cool uniform? I think they kind of have. Like, I, mean, I, I think they've been you grandfathered into having a cool uniform. It's just the variance is not going to be much. Well, because what, what we did was we, we spelled out the word Giants, mm-hmm. put it in bold, italicized it slightly, and put mm-hmm. an underline under it. Mm-hmm. And I know they won ball games. I mean, there's a Super Bowl with NY. LT had great, great bold underline italicized years. Mm-hmm. But it's just... I. I don't know if there's ever been a great uni there. What did you think about the Mavs and the and the um, awful and the yeah the Mavs the coming Bucks. out with the yeah the Bucks, the Bucks and the Hawks the Bucks and the Hawks just a gross. Display. I called them the Mavs. Yeah, as you should have. Yeah, they I mean, like the Mavs. yeah, dude. I couldn't even remember who they were. It was silly. They they look like the Thavericks. We call it the No Fun League, but you got to give it to the NFL for. Curating these brands. I know, but a lot of young kids are like, this is amazing. We want to see different dog shit alternates every night. Okay, but not in the Eastern Conference Finals. No, dude. No. Grow your brand. Well, Cream City. Hey, we're doing a good job here in the NFL. We're moving in the right direction when it comes to the uniforms. Hey, speaking of hoops and more good. Hey, we're race norming. We're blackballing players. Ah, have some new uniforms. Here's a throwback helmet. Let's go further into the past. Yeah, exactly. More good. Your name was on Inside the NBA. Oh, yeah, that's true. Spoken Chuck. by Charles Barkley. He shouted us out. I was doing Chris Long's podcast yesterday. We talked about when you play in a football game, your game plan all week is like, we're going to take away the path, we're going to take away the run. We can't do both. How about that? Shouted you out. Yeah, I want to say us, though, because it's an us thing. You know, I, I, you. I've been thinking a lot since I called you my sidekick. And Oh, no, none yeah. taken. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I you know, clearly this is going to go the way of the Scott Van Pelt show, SVP and Rosillo. Rosillo breaks off, becomes a big star. We don't hear from SVP again. Right, that's you. So Right. So, um, yeah, well, uh, it'll, it'll just be an, uh, an arc. You want to do a couple of tape here. measurements and before we get to, you know, Andrew Whitworth? Here? I really do. I'm going to go diagonal for the first time. Uh, it won't bother me. How long is that? That looks to be about uh, two foot 11s. Uh, we are at 33 inches. You went 35 inches. Yeah. So very good again. Pretty you're, good. Yeah, you're always within a couple inches. Give me one more just wild one. Give me like fucking stand up, walk around the room, stretch that bitch out a little bit. Okay. I'll do one of those in a second. Yeah. I, I want to hear your take on uh, that. Oh, that? Yeah. Oh, that? Yeah. It looks to be about two and a quarter inches. Yeah, it's exactly two and a quarter inches. Yeah. This is weird. This is weird how good you are at this. I know most people can can figure out what an inch is. Yeah. That's real good. Thank you. I appreciate I'm it. I'm going to have to get off mic. Is yeah, that get okay? off your mic. I'll, I'll narrate it. He's taking off his headphones. He's going to see if he can really stump the Schwab here. One time I stumped the Schwab. Real, real talk. I met the Schwab and he was like, oh, fuck. Here this kid goes. I started asking him trivia questions. He missed like two or three. There's a whole TV show on that. Macon's holding, uh, oh man, he's trying to blind me with the studio lights. He's holding what looks to be about, I mean, it's tough, but I'm going to say about four foot nine. I'm just going to go with my gut. Not bad. What Five is it? Five foot two. Five foot two. I was close. Okay. 
the motherfucker because I was going to say 5'1". 62 inches. What did you say? I was going to say 5'1". Oh, really? Yeah. I'll give you credit for that. Thank you. I was close. Hell of a skill set you Thank have. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, Andrew Whitworth, who has a great skill set, any skill set that can have you playing tackle for 20 years in the NFL. He's about to be 40, guys. He's getting into Mike Gundy range. He's a man. He's 40. So I got 38-year vet Andrew Whitworth with me. My man, like, you're the guy who makes me feel like shitty about sitting on the couch. I want you to know that when I see you on Sunday and you're still doing it, at what age now, Big Wit? 39. (laughs) Holly, dude. I'm just like turning 40 on December the 12th. That's incredible. It's it's just incredible. And it's not a quarterback. I mean, he's in the trenches. How long do you want to do this, man? Uh, you know what? I set a goal in 2013. I had a patella injury and, and just kind of was getting frustrated with it. And I was like, if I get through this, I was like, I want to try to play till 40. And that was just kind of like, I didn't think it was realistic or that it ever happened. Um, but I was like, I want to try to do that. And so this year to me, it feels like this is it. I mean, this is like, I put everything into to trying to play this season and, and play the level I want to. And I feel like this will probably be the end, but I mean, also all my closest friends would tell you that I've said that for about seven straight years. So I don't know how believable it is, but it feels like it is. I think we can break that news. I think we can break that news. That's that perfect. One of the largest, most great offensive tackles of our generation might be hanging up after this year because he's addicted to football he might not be too he turns 40 right before week 14 at the arizona Cardinals. so week 13 13 good weeks that's just incredible though that he's going to be celebrating his 40th birthday and the next day or the day of his 40th birthday he's going to be doing like well you're not going to be doing any drills you don't have to practice too much do you yeah, no, it's, hey, look, I came in at the right time, right? I mean, the game's only gotten easier to play as far as uh, all the wear and tear. And uh, yeah, so I, I won't be doing much. I'll, I'll say that way. Well, that's cool. I mean, I, I think speak to that because I think some people at home don't understand like the kind of dance that players do at trying to get ready. You need your reps, but also during the season, after a certain age, especially bigger guys, linemen and that sort of thing, like the wear and tear is a lot. What's gone into kind of mapping out your career as far as like, hey, I'm going to be balls to the wall this day during the week. I'm going to be half speed this day. Like, has it changed as you've gotten older and have coaches dictated that change? Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I kind of going back to what I talked about the Patel injury, when I had that in 13, really in Cincinnati, we kind of came up with a, hey, you know what, your your Patel is kind of shutting down your quad and you're, you're struggling to, you know, keep strength in your leg and we can't really do anything about it till after the season. So what's a maintenance program we can kind of get on to get it to where you can get to Sundays and play well. And so we started kind of saying, all right, look, you know, maybe it's one day I'll go balls to the wall. And then the next day it's like, all right, let's, let's just rehab it, get it feeling good. And then if you feel good enough on Friday, you can kind of get some work in. And so that's kind of how it started. And then I kind of started just trying to study that and learn from it and, kind of diving into all the science behind, you know, some of that just going up and down and having those intervals and training and everything. And so that's really what it's progressed to is now I try to really say, all right, I don't want to go into a practice or I want to go into work and say, all right, I'm only going to take this many reps today, or I'm only going to be on a pitch count. I want to go in and say, all right, today I'm going everything full speed as hard as I can go. And then tomorrow I'll rest. And then the next day I'll ju- I'll, I'll rev it back up again. And so it's kind of been trying to learn my body and, and figure out what was best for a big guy. And I think that's the toughest part for people to understand is it's not, 
it's not really the like, hey, playing in a football game. Like I, I can play in a football game. All day. It's all the days going into it. <laughs> it's like, hey, if, if you say, all right, for five straight days of my age, we want you to go practice. I mean, by the time I get to Sunday, I'm going to feel so bad that it's like, that's worthless, right? So it's yeah. really finding that perfect mechanism of, hey, what's what's enough to turn it up, feel good about playing, and then also know how to shut it down and get ready and, and rehab and feeling good to play on Sundays, which is the most important part. How about the young guys when you get to camp? Like, it's kind of an unspoken thing. I can remember being young going against like Orlando Pace. It's like, I got to try my very hardest to beat this guy because it's very important for me to show my best self. But at the same time, I know that somebody has been in the league 20 years, not every rep is as important. So how do you work with like young guys that you might be like, hey, slow it down a little bit, partner, in this situation? Or like, hey, don't maybe drive me into the quarterback if I didn't have a good set. Is that something that you kind of talk out with younger guys during practice and camp? You know, really, I try to treat live reps as as just roll. I don't yeah. I don't want to do too much of that. But but let's say it's a walkthrough or it's a jog through period or it's a half period. Like you get some of these young guns, and it's like, you know, it's like, hey man, we're we're walking through, and you're like full speed trying to jump counts and rip underneath. I'm like, hey, calm, calm down, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'll get all the reps you want, one on one pass rush and team and all that kind of stuff. Like during this, let's work our technique and and you work your putting your hands on me and let's let's get to know how to how to do this thing right like how to how to actually feel some of these things that you're gonna want to do because I feel like a lot with like young rushers right it's like you're almost in such a hurry to get to the quarterback that sometimes it's like even in a drill like that when you'd probably serve better like learning how to put your hands on somebody yeah. in a speed and working those hands and working your hips. Whereas you just think like running to the quarterback, you know, and it's like, dude, you get more out of this. And I would too, if we'd engage each other and feel balance and pressure and everything else. And so it's kind of just teaching those guys what's actually going to benefit them and me. And how can we do that together? It's also kind of like when you're a rusher in practice and you know, like you get a one-on-one rep, which for people at home, when you see like the end zone view of a one-on-one drill, that's only like once a week during the season. It's kind of once right. a day during training camp, but you only get two, three reps if you're lucky or if you're young. Um, you don't really like you're afraid to work things because it feels embarrassing to get stonewalled in, in one-on-ones. It feels embarrassing to try something new because there's somebody competing with you and you're on camera, right. you're being evaluated. So that's kind of the mind fuck of playing the NFL. It's like, okay, I got to work my craft, but I'm also getting evaluated on if this new thing doesn't work for me and I fail miserably in August. Like I'm trying to make a team. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's tough for, for, you know, when you get in the league as a tackle and, and, and really any lineman and any guy up front is that, you know, you're, you're worried about winning the rep, but at the same time, you need to get benefit of, of truly working your craft at the same time and, and understand that you're going to have to try different things and find your best version of you. That's what I always tell to young rushers, young tackles. It's like, Hey, there's not one way to do things. So you need to find you and like, what's your style and what are you going to be good at? And the reality is if it's great tackles and, and the way they set, they all set different, but all of them have their groove of how they set, how they use their hands. Rushers are no different. I mean, every great rusher has their go-to thing that they're going to do 90% of the time when they rush. And then they're going to have their things that they, they kind of do off of that. And it's like a lot of these young guys, it's almost like they can kind of get in that world of like, you only get so many reps. Yes. So if you got 14 different moves that you want to try, I don't know how good you're getting at them, right? So it's like go with the thing that you're you're good at and get great at it, yeah. and then build off of that. You know what I mean? And, and so, and who cares if you telegraph it in one on ones? 
Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Because, because the whole point is to work it. Yeah, you're probably you're, the point is to work it, and the point is to like see what works and what doesn't. I guess I just sit there and I imagine you trying to talk to the younger guys on the other side of the ball, offensive linemen. I know what I would tell a young D lineman when it's when it's time to work their craft, and we just kind of went through it. But how do you tell an offensive lineman in one-on-one pass rush? Like, do you prep a rookie? Like, this is what it's going to be like to block Aaron Donald. Like, I, I don't have to do it, but I know what it's like. So let me just, is there any advice you give these guys? Yeah, I think kind of similar to probably what you would say to young rushers is that, hey, do do what it is that you set out in this goal and this drill to, to be good at and just work your technique and understand that there's there's guys that it's going to take time to learn how to block. And there's going to take the perfect rep sometimes, but you got to just keep working your stuff and, and not letting really that kind of take away from it. If it's a, if you like to jump or if you like to set on an angle or if you like to set back, whatever your style is, keep working it and keep learning and just take these, these ops as learning ops. And I, and I think that the more you can just be less worried about, well, AD just beat me. Well, guess what? He beats 99% of the guys guys in the league so just calm down just just do your deal and, and don't be scared to take your shot right like yeah get in there and try to block this dude don't worry about it you know worst case scenario you know what he beats everybody else like a drum it's okay you'll be all right yeah i mean like you said 99 i, I, I feel like it might be 100 if if you get enough <laughs> reps it's gonna be 100 like maybe some guys will just block him for people listening at home like they can see the way you set, like they can watch, but I don't know that people know like the terminology of like what Andrew Whitworth set is like. How do you set like for people at home? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm more of an angle setter. I set on an angle and um, and then in times, you know, I'll do things that I, I kind of consider uh, setting on a kind of what we could be considered an angle set at 45, but then also kind of fading back vertically at the same time. If I feel a guy's a late, late move guy or a guy who kind of likes to try and fill out a rush, um, I'll slow that angle down and make it a little more vertical, but every now and then, and, and, you know, we, we obviously run a lot of play action. You'll see some jumps and you'll see some tighter angle sets. Um, I'm not much of a vertical guy. I've just never really been able to do it that well. Right. Um, only really when I see twists and games and different things coming, uh, do I really ever set vertically? But yeah, I mean, for me, that's my style. Obviously, uh, playing at 39, that's had to change over the years. Right. I mean, I've had enough injuries to where um, there's a lot of things physically. I just can't set like I used to set when I was younger. And and uh, so I have to find ways. Uh, as I say, sometimes I end up waddling backwards just because <laughs> the, the hips might not be in the mood to, to function works. that day. Uh, so some days, some days the hips aren't in the mood to function, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, finding a way that's, what's really been the most fun for me. Like playing at this age in my, in my upper thirties is really been the ability to just go out and like, find a way to get your job done. Yeah. Like whatever that takes, you know, whatever it is, workout wise, whatever it is on the field. Um, that's been really the fun part of, of the game to me is just finding ways and creating new ways to get your job done. You know, when you talk about O-line technique, I think we're living in such an interesting time because of what they've kind of done as far as the community of O-linemen talking things out and like a lot of things are shared on social that it's just a total different like you have these summits and stuff where I see Lane and those yeah. guys go and I know they get great work done the flip side of it though is that you're sharing secrets with other O-linemen that you are competing with I mean like let's just be real like on a level you are competing with those guys and I wonder for you who came in a league in the early 2000s how different like vets deal with each other team to team yeah i you know i think um i would have never really seen that or when i got in the league i don't think that guys kind of jobbed like that that wasn't a thing yeah. and um i think it's cool to see i mean obviously because i think it's going to help a lot of younger players or guys that come in the league 
um, find different guys. The only thing that worries me a little bit is, like I said earlier, I, you know, there's some guys out there that it's like, yeah, I don't know if you can do that. Like, you know, it's like if you if you think, hey, I'm going to go be Tyron Smith. Like, well, guess what? Tyron Smith has 40-inch arms, and he can bench press 750 pounds. Like, you're probably not going to left-hand stab everybody and have any success, you right. know? So it's not that it's it's like that's his style, you know? It's like how many guys are as athletic as Teron Armstead? It's like, yeah, you can learn some stuff, but I don't know if you can do those things. You know what I mean? And so it's like, make sure that you're, I always say this, I don't care if it's a mentor or if it's somebody you look up to, or if it's uh, who you're trying to idolize. I always say this. It's like, take pieces. Don't take the whole. Right. And it's like, just, just learn some little things you can learn from them, but don't think that you need to replicate yourself to somebody else. Like you, you can be you and just take some of the pieces that maybe you're learning at those things and and take them and see if you can be successful with them and find the ones that work for you. Well, I think it's so interesting because we talk about this on the defensive line side of the ball, and I mentioned this here, is that like I think the number one thing a young player can do to benefit themselves is not only figure out what who they are, but like who you're not. You know, like yeah. what can you not do? Okay. And you just talked about it with Armstead. When you want to teach them to just inside hand punch and like that sort of thing. Well, I watched uh, Armstead on tape doing that. Well, you're going to get, you, somebody's going to get under your arm because yep. you don't have 40 inch arms. And when somebody shows me a Miles Garrett rush or somebody showed yep. me a Von Miller rush or shit, you know, Michael Bennett and myself played together late in our careers. We'd watch each other, but we also knew that there were things that we just didn't do that the other person could or could not do. And like, it's kind of what you're talking about. It's take little things from people, but don't try to emulate everybody because it's yeah. it's an art form. It's not a there's not a manual. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You look at fighting. I mean, right. You know, you, you obviously follow a lot of MMA, a lot of boxing. All those guys have their own style. You know, and that yeah. and that's where I get into a little bit. Like, and I get like I think it's great some of these O line guys that are O line gurus teaching guys in the off season and stuff. But when I see them, kind of like make everybody get in the same stance, everybody get in the same position. you all kick the same. Y'all use your hand. Like I just, to me, like I can dispel that immediately. Like we can go watch tape on the 32 teams that play and all 32 left tackles set completely different. Totally use their hands different. completely different. So like, there's no way you can tell me there's a robot way to do this. So, you know, that's where it's just like, yeah, I, I encourage guys to be them and, and understand, find your style and what works for you. But football's changed too. Like schemes change, players have changed. Like I remember when I got in the league and you were in it before me, it was like, you could count on your right tackle being a big maul and punching motherfucker. Like you knew that on your third step, if I could just knock, you know, I don't know, it was Jeremy Bridges hands down or, you know, I'm just thinking about names of guys who used to just punch you in the face. Like that True was blood. the set. You know what I mean? That you were used to. And every once in a while, you'd have guys that would start to pull their hands back, like a Locklear kind of guy was different. But mostly, you saw the same sets. And I think that, like, now the game's changing where, to, to your point, there's 32 different sets on Sunday. And there's a lot of different offenses. How has the game changed most notably for you as you get older? Really, you look at it, uh, I think even not only has the game changed from, like, who's playing the positions, but really even the styles. I mean, I can remember when I got in the league in 06, it's like you might face a team that they really, they, they, you know, kind of put themselves, they hung their hat on pass rush. So they might have some great edge rushers, but then the next week you might face a team that it's like their only focus was stopping the run. And so you might face kind of your bigger four, three ends who are really not rushing that much. And they're really not that worried about getting to the quarterback. They're just going to make sure you don't run the football on them. And, right. and then they're going to blitz to get to the quarterback or they're going to do whatever, you know, and send pressures. But 
it's like every week, it's like one week you might face a guy who get after it and you're like, all right, man, technically I got to be perfect in pass sets. And then the next week you're like, ah, oh, I kind of got a guy. It's like in pass, I'm not even worried about it. You know, it's more, can I move this guy in the run game? Now the game has changed so much to where it's like, I, I, I joke, like used to, I could kind of set a calendar and say, all right, I got to play Jared Allen. I got to play Freeney this week, you know, but there's like separation, you know, or I got to play Suggs yeah. or Harrison. Now it's like all 16, 17 weeks you're going, all right, well, dang, this team's got this guy. And it's like, he's great at getting the quarterback, but he uses this style. And this guy's great at getting the quarterback, but he uses this style. It's like, you almost, you don't get any days off anymore. It's like yeah. all these guys, or if they're a team that does, you do that. Uh, they might have a third down specialist guy who's a tremendous structure right. and you're just like, all right, man, it's like every week you've got a dog. And and so it's just different. And not only that shooting no six, Chris, you know, that's like, we were in a center, like, I don't know, 95% of the game. Yes. We, we only got in the shotgun when it was third and 12. You and, know? And so the it's, ball's coming out quicker, which helps. I feel like I, I do feel like, you know, there were two things sure. I noticed as I got older in the league for me and I retired at 34, but like the one thing, that made me think, ah, the game's starting to get a little different for me was the perimeter run stuff. Like, not right. the perimeter run, but the perimeter, like, pass to make it a run. Like, yep. everything became much more lateral. And I did not like things slowing me down to have to, like, plant my feet and then go run my 5140 at 33 years old, like, and chase down a bubble screen. Like, back in the day, we'd play San Fran, it'd be power counter. You know, it'd be, yeah. you know, or you get a hard zone either way against Seattle. Like those were kind of the, the type of offenses you ran. You guys do a hell of a lot of stuff to make people uncomfortable in LA. Yeah. Try and stretch the field everywhere. Like we say, we want it. We want to make defenses defend every blade of grass, horizontally, vertically everywhere. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of that. And I think that's one of the things that's made the game a lot different. I mean, I know for me, when I got in the game, a perfect example, I played at, you know, probably 360, 355 and 06, 07, 08, 09, somewhere in there. Yeah. And now I probably play around 315, 310. You know, it's like my, my I've had to change because the game's changed. I, I got to cover more ground. There's more things laterally where you're getting out in space um, than ever before. I mean, shoot, you know, back in the day, big Willie Anderson yep. uh, played with Incensia, a tremendous player. It's like he stayed in his four yard box and like, he never left it. You know, right. you didn't run after a play. You didn't like chase down people on screens. Like just you stayed in that little box and you moved people in the run game and you didn't let people get to the quarterback. And that was it. You faced some great rushers. You just siphoned through a bunch of them. I'm curious because when you were in Cincy, you obviously had to face James Harrison a good bit. You also faced, I don't know if Dunlap rushed on your side a lot. Did he in practice? No, not really. So looking at Dunlap or somebody like him, who's very tall, and then looking at James Harrison, who's shorter, most people would think like, uh, you know, styles make fights. We just talked about that. Like maybe James Harrison leverage, that's going to be trouble for you shorter guys. Do you have a, is it tough when a guy can negate your length or are you more of like, hey, the leverage guy sucks? You know, James always seemed to have pretty good success against just because he was more of a, even though he had leverage, it was more pure power. Yeah. Now, earlier in his career, when he kind of got off the rock a lot more, um, I thought he was like harder to block, but yeah. as he got older and he really kind of used more just strength, that was kind of my game. So I felt pretty good with that. Plus I had to play Suggs twice a year too. So it's like, I was so used to power rushes that it was kind of, that's what I preferred. But I would say if I had to go, all right, some guys that were tough, obviously, I mean, Dwight Freeney, obviously in his heyday is like so rare. Um, that get off and power and leverage he had with his legs and his ability to spin and everything was crazy. Are you guessing crazy. on him? Because like, there's no selling that spin. 
No, it, you know, with him, you'd have to kind of watch his inside hand a lot. When the hand went high, the spin would come. And, and then he got good at using that and then doing kind of a knockdown with it, uh, you know, eventually when he started realizing guys would sit for the spin. Right. But, you know, really you would kind of try and study his hands and his body movement. Uh, but but you'd realize that the reality for him was if he got enough reps at it, his get off was so good. That's really what made it work is that, you know, if you you were a little late one time, and you started to lean with your head or helmet, it, it, it just, you know, the spin's coming and you're going to look like an idiot. I mean, yeah, you're going like, to be running up the field. I think Freeney, D-Ware, that little, like, class of dudes that were just so dominant, Mathis, like, we had some just amazing rushers to watch. Do you remember Joe Staley getting hit with a fake spin? Oh, yeah. Oh, D-Ware. yeah, everybody around the league remembers that. Like, hey, offensive tackles and defensive ends alike are watching that, like, yo, that doesn't work. Robert Mathis outside spin. It's like, dude, what is this? What is this? Like, and it just destroyed guys. But it's like, you had no idea when it's coming. And then it's like, he hits you with it. And it's like, what just happened? Like, it's like one of those where you literally like look around, like, where did he go? I like, can't even, so, yeah. Like, but the rules have been broken. The rules tell yeah. me he's supposed to be here, here, and he's behind me. Like, what is going on? Who's somebody young that you can see being in that mold, like we don't throw those names around, but that are going to be the gatekeepers of the next generation of pass rushers, somebody young that you really like? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, Miles Garrett's going to be really rare. But, you know, I think Nick Bosa, unfortunately, with the injury, but, you know, I think he'll come back in the storm this year. I think he's a special rusher. I think uh, feeling him as a rookie, he's one of the most powerful kids I've ever felt that young. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you're really in the run game, pass game, everything, he's got some serious pop. And, and so I think there's youth strength and then there's like, man, when this guy kind of hits his stride, if he's that powerful now, wow, he's going to be a guy that's going to really be able to push the pocket and, um, obviously plays with an incredible motor and has a big brother to look up to as a healthy player too. Oh my so, God, dude. He's, crazy. I mean, Joey's, Joey's, Joey's rare. So Nick's Nick's, uh, I would say to me, Nick has felt, uh, more powerful than, than what I feel when I feel Joey, I think Joey's just an artist. Like, yeah, he's he, he really, He's an artist rusher, but but Nick is, man, he's got some rare power. I, I think he's one that's going to be really special for sure. What have you learned? I mean, you've been away, so I don't know that you and Matt Stafford have spent a lot of time, but what has been something you learned about him that you're excited about that you didn't know while he was in Detroit or uh, something unexpected? You know, I think just being around him, obviously I haven't had the chance of oh, knowing him, you know, like how you know guys in the league just from playing and, and kind of getting some experiences around each other, but actually personally getting to be around him and, and spend some time just, you know, just that he's, he's kind of uh, what I would say is kind of a man's man. Like he's just a guy, man. Yeah. And he's, he's tough and he's rugged and he kind of wants it. And there's no excuses with him. I mean, I can remember uh, a story a while back, you know, just when he was uh, getting back rehabbing this thumb, you know, of, 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 I remember one of the guys, somebody asked him like, you know, if they wanted like the footballs like conditioned a certain way for him to start throwing with it again or whatever. And uh, he's just like, does it have laces on it? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like, but that's just him, right? It's like, I I don't need any of that kind of stuff. I want to play football and, and, uh, I don't need the ball to feel a a perfect way. Like just, you don't have to brush it down for me. Just give me a football that has laces on it. Let me spin it. And I think that kind of attitude is just cool to see him, uh, a quarterback who has obviously made a ton of money and had a lot of success in the league, uh, personally, who wants to have that team success, um, I think, you know, seeing how hungry he is, it's fun to be around another guy. And you know this, like once guys are over 30, there's just a vibe you have. Like, yeah, you, you just know, seen you, it. you get it. 
you just you know each other you feel each other you gotta almost be around each other without saying a word and there's just a there's a feel you have there so being around him and that experience is cool man i'm excited about getting the opportunity to go to war with him you know golf ended on a bad note and everybody knows it didn't work out we don't have to go like too down that road but i just think i watched him at the end and i thought his toughness you know was was impressive i thought that you know mentally and physically to go out like he did you know, to, to give it a, a go on the road in Seattle and that sort of thing. Like, was there a sense of, hey, this guy didn't work out, but, you know, you can really respect him coming out the door as a teammate and that type of thing? Oh, I think there's no question. I mean, you go all the way back from uh, Jared's videos getting drafted, the, the famous video of Cal when they just all go nuts. You can tell how much guys, teammates, people he's around love him and they, and they care about him. And so I think Jared's one of those guys who's just, um, he's a real dude and, and he's he's got a big heart. And uh, I think guys just endear it to him because of that. And, and so I think, yeah, it was impressive the way he fought through that and, and really just wanted to be out there regardless. Um, and I think obviously, you know, we've, we've both played and you as well long enough to where you, you see all kinds of stuff happen and things happen and teams move on. And, and uh, one thing you can be assured is the next training camp, it always looks different. Yeah. And uh, yeah. this is another one of those situations where things happen for whatever reason they happen. And I mean, no guys, will leave anything other than a lot of respect for Jared Goff. And obviously, I mean, you know, a guy that a lot of us are close to and will continue to be close to years to come. What do you think Geno Atkins still has in the tank? Guys still sitting around and I'm like, did it, have we forgotten this guy? I mean, I know there's health issues as you get older, but I, I feel like the country should, should pay more attention to Geno going back to, you know, when we got in the league to now, like wh- what's he still got left in the tank? I don't know. I'd be interesting to see. I mean, you know, he's a guy that, man, how special he was. I mean, mm. uh, you know, there was a run there that uh, he was just unbelievable. I always used to say, like, it would be amazing to block him and feel just a guy who felt like he was 500 pounds. Except for when you look at him, you're like, man, I'm going to just rock this dude. And he would get under guys, and you would see their cleats in the ground. And then they're just digging through the dirt like, like, like a bulldozer. Their feet are just sliding through the grass all the way back to the quarterback with his rare power. I mean – it was really special to play with him, and he was a heck of a player. And uh, I'd love nothing more to see him get back out there and start doing his thing. But, you know, he's also one of those guys that he, he always had, you know, a great balance to where he, he enjoyed football, but he also liked his personal time. And, yeah. you know what, he's, he's had a great run. So maybe maybe for him this is it. But uh, if he gets out there, it would be great to see him do his thing again. You could make a case for the Hall of Fame there. Yeah, he's a special player, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, since he's tough because you guys didn't enjoy some of the national kind of, yeah. I mean, which is crazy because in a lot of ways you get to L.A. and it's not as much of a football town maybe, but you get more national exposure playing in L.A. And I wonder if in Cincy oh, for a long no time. Oh, there's no question. You there's know? no question. I mean, it's, it's you know, going to a bigger market, it, it, it gives you a, an insane, I always joke, like in my five years here in L.A., like I got more people to know who I am, like I play football for a living than I ever did in 11 years in Cincinnati, as good as the runs were. Um, it just is what it is. Always just an example. Like I'm always like, hey, look, you know, Tony Romo and the Cowboys were, were pretty good. They didn't like win a Super Bowl, or but they had some pretty good runs there, right, for a couple of years. And I always tell people, I'm like, who won more games from like 2008 to 15? Oh, Romo and the Cowboys. I'm like, no, not even close. Cincinnati won more games. Y'all were in a lot of playoff games. When I look back at Andy Dalton's record and the type of things that you guys were able to accomplish and obviously not able to get over the hump in the playoffs, but y'all were a good football team. And I think sometimes like that Cincinnati kind of, you know, lamenting that we haven't been in the big one in a long time could kind of rub off on the national consensus. It's it's a, y'all had a good run there. And I, and I wonder, cause the Pittsburgh 
and Cincy rivalry was the thing that we always used to tune into, no matter if you weren't a fan of the AFC North or they weren't on your opponent list, you were definitely tuning into that game. How rough was it on the, how violent was it to sit there on the field and be an offensive lineman and see some of those hits? I mean, different than anything else? Oh man, it was, it was, you know, the AFC North for a while there, man, was just, it was intense. I mean, the physicality in that division was really, really special and playing those guys and seeing some of those hits and, and obviously James Harris and how special he was and how powerful he was, that whole defense fed off of all that. And man, I mean, I, I can go all the way back to, to the Ryan Clark and all the, all those guys in the Steelers secondary and Palomalu, obviously the hits and, and just the things, man, that, that division playing in that division was a lot of fun during that era. I mean, you look at even Baltimore when I got in, I mean, it was Ray and Bart and Ed, you know, Nagata. I mean, Haloti. I mean, you got all those guys. I mean, it was Trevor Price. Mm. I mean, you're talking about some legends, yeah. and, and, you know, in there. And it, it was a lot of fun playing in the division just from that standpoint, just that physicality that existed in the AFC North. It was really special. But like you said, I mean, that run we had, I mean, people don't realize it. From 09 to 15, six out of seven years, we went to the playoffs. And we yeah. won like 60-something games in those years. And so – you know, it's one of those things where when you get to that playoff, how much that playoff win really dictates a team, right? And it's like you 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 have a lot of success in season. You win three division championships in that era, but you don't win in the playoffs, and that's all people remember. And and that's why it was so sweet getting to the Rams and having that opportunity in 2018 and winning a playoff game. That was a pretty cool moment. I think I can speak to some of the obscurity in Cincy, we're the official podcast of Sports Uniforms, and you wore just a gorgeous jersey in college at LSU. Were yeah. you aware of just how awful the Cincinnati Bengal Uni was when you got there? Uh, <laughs> I knew it was different. As, as uh, my wife says sometimes, is uh, you know, orange is a tough color, you know, and, and uh, it's one of those that sometimes just doesn't exist on people's color wheels. You know, right. if, you, if you have your color wheel in your closet, Orange ones are tough to pull off, you know, and so it, I knew it was going to be uh, different going from the purple and gold uh, to the orange and black. Um, but you know what? It, uh, it 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 served me good. I can say that for 11 years, I had a lot of fun and a lot of good memories. And now we need your take on a gradient numeral you're wearing on your chest. Blue uni will go from yellow to white. I mean, is that we we absolutely we were like everybody else. We dumped on the logo. We did the whole thing where everybody was upset with the Rams. And I got to say, I, I actually don't mind the get up. Yeah, I think it's getting better. I think it's starting to warm up to people. I think people are starting to kind of take it in. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's like fashion, right? I mean, somebody comes out with something, you're like, that's hideous. And then two years later, everybody's rocking it. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I got to take that back. But I had kind of the same reaction. I wasn't sure I liked it at first. And then when we got in the season, you kind of start seeing like how everything works together and the logos and the colors. Um, it started to grow on me. And then now, like this year, uh, you know, there are another jersey and uniforms coming out that's really sharp. That kind of is a throwback to the old Rams unis with the yellow and everything. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. I, I, I'm excited to these unis. I think they're going to continue to grow. And who knows? There's no telling what gradient thing we're going to add next to our uniform. It's <laughs> another testament to how long I've played in the league. I know. If you told me in 2006 they were going to be wearing some faded numbers. Uh <laughs> At an indoor outdoor stadium with palm trees and shit inside and like the whole nine yards. It's like, it's a brave new world, dude. Oh, man, there's no, no doubt about it. If you, you know, if you told Kelly Gregg back in the day, he was going to be wearing gradient numbers. I don't know if big Kelly Gregg would be excited about that. Yeah, exactly. Two things to finish up with you. Number one, they really fall under the category of things you're going to spend the rest of your off season doing. 
Number one, training, and number two, golf. Let's start with training. You got golf on your sweatshirt. I was told that you, you're a really good golfer. But you train your ass off. You're up where right now? At what altitude? Uh, I'm right outside of Vail in Beaver Creek, Colorado, in Walcott, Colorado, it's called. And, um, yeah, I, I bought a house here about five, six years ago, and I spend the summers basically from when mini camp ends until training camp starts. Uh, we spend about five and a half, six weeks here. Um, and I train here in the altitude. I turn my garage into a gym and then I, I got a mountain bike and stuff. And so I do some biking up the mountains. We do some hiking with backpacks and stuff, weighted stuff and weighted carries up the mountain, all that good fun stuff. And I just have enjoyed it. Being in the altitude is a heck of a workout. And, uh, I've really enjoyed having this time when I get to camp, it's like the shape I'm in, it just blows me away. So I've, uh, kind of jumped into it and I really love it. And so that's one of the things I do in the off season. I train, uh, at my house there in, in California. And then, you know, when we hit really kind of the end of, of OTA mini camp time, we spend the time here and just hiking as a family and going to do some cool hikes across Colorado. And it's, it's a great family time, a great unity time, and also just a good time for, for me to get in shape and get ready for camp. And it's also Chris, just a hidden secret, a little easier to get in shape and altitude. So yes. for the big fellas, it, you know, it's uh it's a little less having to get out there and run and, and be out on the grass chugging along doing half gassers i can just do a little walk up the mountain with the kids and, and i'm ready to roll that's so interesting that like you can actually cut down on the wear and tear because you can do less and get the same out of it i mean oh yeah i've had years where literally i've done like i had a couple years there one of the years i had ankle surgery and another deal where i just spent the whole summer here i didn't i didn't run one time didn't touch the grass the entire time just hiked with the kids weighted my backpack a lot and would do some of the hikes and, and that way and, and then did a lot of carries and stuff like that here and just kind of push like sleds and stuff like that in the mountain. No, no running at all. And then I just show up to camp and I'm like, dude, I feel better than I've ever felt in my career, like just shape wise. And I, I haven't put on a cleat or run or, or done anything, you know, other than just do this. And, and it's like, man, it's insane. The difference this, this altitude can have effect on you. That's impressive. And for people listening at home, you have to stay there longer than a couple of days. You know, exactly. You got to actually put in some work. That's why big fellows up there five, six weeks. But you're also playing golf, I, I suppose. Uh, I, are you the best big man golfer in the NFL? You know, I, I've heard there's a couple guys out there that are pretty decent. But yeah, I, I would have to say, I mean, somebody's got to get on the grass and, and show me mm. uh, if they're better. But um, I'm always up for that challenge. But yeah, I mean, I'm probably a three index, something like that. Um, and, you know, probably, you know, I'm a solid single digiter. So, it, you know, it's fun, though. That's what I do. So I, it's part of what I attribute also to my career. I mean, I I have um, always literally my off season, I train in the mornings and then I spend, you know, a couple hours on the range in the morning and then usually, you know, go see the kids, do whatever I'm doing with the kids in the day. And then the afternoon, I try and close out my afternoons with a couple hours on the range again, uh, almost dang near every day. If I'm not playing around the golf would be the only reason I wouldn't do it if I actually played 18 holes and then here in the summer I train in the mornings and then I get 18 holes in every day in Colorado. And, uh, then, you know, plus the hike. So I, for me, I call it feet time. I just try to be on my feet, man. I like playing golf, moving, walking, hiking, whatever it is, just off the couch, moving and, and staying active. How far can you drive the ball? Uh, I can hit it a long way. You know, what's, what's crazy though. And, and as, as I've gotten going in this, you know, I've, I've learned that, uh, that didn't have a whole lot to do with why I want to be good, uh, good at being good at good off. So I've actually become a guy who hits a little bit of a driving iron off the tee, Chris. And, okay. uh, you know, I like to hit fairways and have a good second shot, you know, because, um, 
I can hit it a really long way with the driver, especially up here in the mountains. I mean, you can, you can get up to 380, 400 yards up here, uh, bombing it the right way. But, um, you know, I, I, I can hit it a good ways. I'll put it that way. I, I, I can let it rip. I just, for me, you know, there's not many golf courses that uh, I hit it well enough with the tee, with the driver off the tee to, to really hit driver a lot. So I've learned to just put it in the fairway and let's play some golf. Hey, team's in L.A. and Aaron Donald's in the locker room, but inside the Rams organization, is there, there's still a lot of a lot of stories, a lot of talk of Chris Long. No, there's not. Former D-end. No. I mean, in the barbershop with Reggie Scott, yeah, there's plenty of talk about uh, yeah, they, Chris those, every now Those and guys then. liked me there. <laughs> I think. Those guys have a good time, man. You know, it's yeah. – um, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that's been really unique for me going there and uh, being around Reggie Scott, who now I don't know how he's got 14 different titles now. But, you know, Reggie's, uh, you know, the head trainer, the head everything over there now with the Rams. And um, he, he obviously works with Chris a lot. And he's a, just a special human being and, yeah, and yeah. his crew and, and all his guys. They do just an amazing job. I've, I've never been around a culture where like the training facility just in there being in the training room and doing that kind of thing, it, it was that cool of an atmosphere. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty special. Uh, the culture that he has going on for sure. He's a, he's a big part of what's special about the Rams. That's for sure. Yeah, it's like a clubhouse in there. It's like, just, you don't want to be in there cause you don't want to be hurt, but you do like to walk through to see what's going on. Like that's the best oh, way I put it. Yeah. And you don't want to be the one that the circles on that day either, but you kind of want to walk through to just kind of get a feel of who is getting ripped or Who's who, getting who is in the middle of the circle. Uh-huh. Cause there's always somebody, their name on the board or something about them or a picture that Reggie's found. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's a constant humbling process to go in that trainer room. So it's a lot of fun. No doubt about it. Andrew Whitworth, look forward to seeing you play at least one more year, man. Much respect, dude. Come back another time, and good luck this year. I look forward to it, man. What a challenge. 2021, let's do it. Woo, let's go, big dog. Let's go. All right, man. Hey, holler at me, man. Um, Good luck, and and tell the boys hi, okay? Will do, man. Take care. Okay, see you. Have a good summer. Okay, see you, bud. Class act right there, dude. I I don't throw that word around, class act. Guy can talk about his trade. He's so smart. He's always been so smart. And uh, you can tell when you do chop it up with him. Conversations like that. I mean, he's just a he's a good, solid dude that's worked his craft really hard. He's also incredibly gifted. Like, when you ask people in L.A., like, tell me something about Andrew Whitworth and what it's like to play with him or coach him. It's, guy's a freak of nature. Just, like, country strong, enormous cat. That body type is not supposed to last that long in the NFL. Like, it really is not. He's an anomaly in so so many ways. To use that to his advantage is wild. Because for so many guys, that size and that strength even at times can be, in today's NFL, like, that can be a problem. So, we've got Big Donkey coming up, Steven Shock. He is, again, the guy you know from Twitter.com and from the TV pitcher for the Virginia Cavaliers. And... uh I mean, he's got nothing. To, he's got nothing to hang his head about. No, nor do any of those kids. What a run! I mean, like, I was talking with people. It is no fun to be invested in watching a baseball game. Yeah. Now I know you love your Phils. I love my Blue Jays. Yeah. But when UVA's on the front of the jersey, it takes it to another level. Yes. And even when you're up four nothing in the eighth, it is baseball is just a cruel sport, man. Yeah. And and Mississippi State won that game fair and square, and now they're in the College World Series championship series. 
against the Vanderbilt Commodores and not the NC State Wolfpack. So there's the thing. I want to ask you what you think about this because I think sometimes it's okay to say as a podcaster, I'm not really positive what I think about it. By now you know the story. I'm not saying necessarily that the rules should have been the rules or the protocol should have been the protocols, especially with the NCAA touting 22,000 in attendance. Right, un- that, that's, Unmasked yeah, yeah, yeah. without being tested, etc. But... NC State did know the rules going in. And if your team and travel party was completely vaxxed, you weren't going to be tested. Right. In part because if you're vaxxed and contract COVID, it's not as bad if, as if you were unvaxxed and contracted COVID in theory. Um, so some players took the risk knowing the rules and it stinks so much. You, you can't, you can't lessen that blow to those dudes, but uh, am I am I the jackass for saying there also should be some accountability? I mean, this was in play. I don't know what the take ratio has been on this thing. I think I'm in the minority. Okay. I mean, I don't have enough information to make a definitive call on what my take would be. I just think that, you know, if they had enough players to play, then maybe we let them go necessary roughness and try to go out there with a fucked up set of numbers and get a win. I'm just a big rules guy. I think either follow the governor governing body's rules or you don't. And NC state rolled the dice and um, it's too bad. Four unvaxxed players tested positive and then four vaxxed players tested positive. So, right. Or members of the support party details are still gray. But JJ Reddick's got to be crushed to see that team not go through. Yeah, his wolf pack. He was a stud there for, for four years. I really do think he could have been an NC State guy. It's just stuck in my head since we interviewed him. I, I just have the picture of him and his shells in a red undershirt or white undershirt. Now, to be fair, he was also classic Dookie. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Poster but. boy for Dookie. So I, if I can speak out of both sides of my mouth and we can put a bow on do this it. bad boy. Uh, very sorry for the NC State players. Can't imagine going out that way. Uh, for some guys, it's going to be their last game. Um, or not their last game. The last game they weren't allowed to play. But, I mean, uh, the the rules were the same for everybody. You go home, and before you have to quarantine for seven days, according to their coach, you you mix it up with thousands of fans in, in Raleigh. It's just, yeah, I, 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 they probably weren't at at uh, major risk if they were to keep playing Vandy. Now Vandy has an advantage with their uh, pitchers rested, but them's the breaks. I feel you... like uh, you and Shock are going to disagree here, but we're not going to so go too. back and forth. I think so too. Yeah, just because I, 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 I just feel like it's gotten to be one of these things that um, when it comes to the vaccine, I've made myself pretty clear. I've done what I've done. I hope people would do the same thing. And any situation that this applies itself to, that's kind of my stance. I mean, it's just that simple. And when it comes to sports and that sort of thing, I do think um, it's hard to be consistent. It really is because all these situations seem different from sport to sport, from the regular season to the, the College World Series. But I'm not going to get up on a soapbox and get mad because I can't generate outrage. I'm bummed for them. I'm not a rules guy like you. Love but I rules. also think that there's a there's a kind of a forward-thinking way about about going about playing sports in the post-COVID era, especially in the first couple of years. And yeah, you would have liked to see everybody be vaccinated and they, they took that risk. It sucks. But I don't really have a take. Go Bulldogs. Sure. For me. 
Sure. They haven't won a natty yet. They're one of three schools, Mississippi State, Kansas State, and uh, Virginia Tech. In any, yeah, that was a great way to bring that up. And uh, In so, any sport. In any sport. Damn, I can't wait to tell Fletcher Cox that. Yeah, there you go. I that's mean, he an, was gloating the other night because we decided to let him back in the ballgame. But yeah, Stephen Shock, all-time memorable who, for sure. Uh, and we get to talk to him for a little bit here. Hopefully not the last time. I know he's talking about going to work for Barstool. I saw that on Twitter. So what I do, I quote tweeted Dana Beers over there, and I'm like, hey, listen, man, and this is true. We can't have the big donkey in a small pen up there in New York. You know, you know, you know what a content salary gets you here? 8,500 square foot house. Mon- Monticello. Yeah, you could buy Monticello. With Cowboy it. Reed lives at Monticello. Cowboy Reed lives... Cowboy Reed moved from Monticello because it wasn't nice enough. Cowboy Reed's crunchy ass now lives on the mountain beside Monticello, the bigger one. Carter's Mountain. Monalto. Yeah. Both of I them. I fly my kites all the time. There's a tunnel. His crunchy ass flying. Flies kites and flying shit. Flying kites. Yeah, you could fly kites down here, dude. You can go up there with. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do and that sort of thing, and there's a lot of funny guys there and that sort of thing. Yeah, but they're mean. Uh, Dan Katz, mean guy. No, he's not mean. Piff, piffed commenter, mean not guy. Not mean. Dana Beers, mean guy. Dana Beers, just drunk guy. Hey, I don't know much about Dana Beers other than Dana Beers. Here's the thing about Dana Beers' uh, whole brand, which is just genius. If your brand is being an alcoholic, you can literally do that your entire life. Like his job security is alcoholism and he does a great job at it. My favorite beer guy though in the world is that kid that uh, Bum Chillips posts a lot. He's the frat boy looking kid with all the flags on his wall, probably a big flag day guy. And he records himself drinking 12 beers of like different varieties. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he stops after every like four. Man, I remember one night he did like Bud Ice or something. Which obviously is a whole another ball game. And he was just fucking speechless by like eight. I love that kid. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know how we got here. Dana Beer is the beer guy. But yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of positives, sure, to like join in the mothership and that sort of thing. But like, do you want to be a part of building something? That's right. We'll send you correspondent type shit. Buy your plane ticket. Have you staying in haunted houses and going to like tractor pulls and shit. That'd right, be great. Send them on. We could have a segment called "Shocks Shocking Takes." Yeah, See, and so cease and desist anybody else that uses that after you hire him. Yeah, you want to be a cog in a machine, or do you want to be a? Do you want to be the machine, or do you want to be the machine? Can't put a big donkey in a little pen in Manhattan. You need some land to roam, buddy. All right, so Stephen Shock, listen, we don't beg anybody to work for us. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We don't. We just put the facts out there. You can I, lead a donkey to water, but you can't make him drink. I can speak from experience. You presented me a contract. I said, oh, let's change a couple of things. You said, fuck you. <laughs> sign it or don't sign it. So here we are. You know, it's, it's a great place to work. Yeah, that's a ringing endorsement. Oh, and by the way, Coach Wook's walking up the stairs right now so he can join us to sprinkle a little baseball. Just, uh, that's that's Megan's hand, but we can sprinkle some some baseball IQ in here with this this interview, and then Wook and I stick around for afterwards. We're going to review Necessary Roughness and find out what the movie will be next week. All right, Big Donkey. So the Big Donkey's here. Uh, we've been waiting for this moment. I mean, uh, there's a backstory, okay? I, and can I let you, Steve, tell the story about you and I have hung out before? 
Yeah, we, uh, we have, and if it weren't for my camera roll, I probably wouldn't have remembered it. Health and personal. <laughs> no, same. You. I was like, wait, I've met this kid. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> the third floor of Miller's. I was there with, uh, my girlfriend, one of my buddies who, uh, who's a huge Eagles fan. And he walks up and he goes, dude, I just saw Chris long. Cause he went downstairs to, you know, maybe buy some tobacco products, maybe cigarettes, who knows, Possibly. who knows what the night's doing. Possibly. That could have been it. And, uh, he was like, dude, I swear to God, I just saw him. And I was like, well, let's go down and find him. I mean, I'm a UVA, UVA guy. So he kind of has to, he has to at least say hi. Cause if I say hi to him, cause otherwise it would be really awkward for him. So yeah, dude, we, uh, we had a little hang at Miller's bro, which is, uh, which, which is hazy for me. The best part of this is that Chris thought that Miller's was located in, in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I thought we met in Amsterdam. <laughs> That's no, fucking I've, insane. Uh, never been there. He's never been to Amsterdam for three weeks now. I was like, he sent me the picture and I saw the picture and I was like, I think that was in Amsterdam because I met some guys that I thought were football players in Amsterdam and they were UVA guys. And in my drunk brain, your face molded with that guy in Amsterdam. And now you're telling me that that picture was at Miller's. <laughs> Which means there's a follow-up where somewhere out there are three UVA football players with another really good story. They do have a good story because that was a totally different vibe in Amsterdam. Okay. Well, the question was, I asked you, I said, I said, were we ripping heaters? Yeah, it's third floor Miller's. I remember that part, actually, at least. So we were just asking, you've kind of taken the country by storm. Like people are, I think, what do you think it is about you that's appealing to people? I don't know. I think it's like people see college baseball players and like they see the way they compete and stuff. And they're like, oh, these guys must just be like hardos. They hate everybody. You know, they're just thinking of murdering the other team the whole time in the dugout. It's like that's not really the vibe at all. And right. I kind of just, you know, they put a headset on me and I just kind of rambled about random shit, to be honest with you. And I guess people expected me based on, you know, how I pitched to be, you know, kind of Captain Insano, just not really thinking about anything but winning and competing. But, you know, I don't think really many people realize that there's a line when it comes to competing. And I happen to be someone who's really good at just like drawing the line. And, you know, as soon as I step off the field, I'm just a giant dipshit pretty much. And so. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a I nice way to live because I always say this is like, I'm all out of competing by the time I walk off the field. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. My last job, I competed perpetually for 11 years. Like, I don't need to compete at stupid shit, and I don't need to be like a hardo when it comes to, hey, complimenting the guy from Mississippi State with the fucked up pants. I will say the pants were fucked up. Yeah, that's a look that I've never he seen He likes before. the look. He saw it on Twitter. Above the kneecap oh, is unique. I would I would never fucking rock it because they got <laughs> very, very interesting legs. They are. Yeah, they're a little tight, but I mean, he's a fast guy. He's an outfielder. He's supposed to look fast. So yeah. Let's so do it. credit if if you're going to pull that look off, you better steal bases and not get caught. Hundred percent. What's a big uniform no-no for you? For me, honestly, for me, it's high pants. I can't do it. Um, I got I got a really funny body. That's how I wear. Like I'm just proportionally not something. Something happened. Like I don't know what the hell it is. My arms are super small and my legs are super small. Maybe it's because I'm not strong. I don't know. <laughs> I always got to wear like loose pants and a three-quarter sleeve under my jersey just to, you know, hide myself from the fact that I look ridiculous. 
to feel together. I totally know what you mean. I had maybe some low-key body image issues in St. Louis. Do you remember I used to wear those loose sleeves? You know, there's just a bunch of big, strong guys out there. Can you agree that our numerals, and I say our because we're all Wahoos in here, that our numerals this year brought to us by the great Nike Incorporated were just so dopey. They put our script Virginia up by your Adam's apple, and our numbers, um, which are supposed to evoke thoughts of the straight lines and circles of the rotunda, looked just hideous. Your thoughts? I'm going to be honest. I never really have written a number and thought, let's make this look like a fucking building. (laughs) That's never really been something I've been interested in. I didn't even know that it was supposed to be like the rotunda. You know, the front of the jerseys were a little rough with the with the spacing of where they decided to put Virginia. I mean, I'm a hard nipple guy, so that really helped me open those <laughs> up. But um, it was pretty – the most frustrating thing was taping the dot from the eye to my neck yes. every game. Back up for a second, the hard nipple thing. Expound. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about me. Like I said, weird body. You know, sometimes they're, like, puffier. You're in different climates all the time, totally. climate based. And your body's never going to fully adjust by the first day. So, you know, if I'm puffing out, it's it's nice to know that there's a V over one and an A over the other. I think so, so many guys can relate to this conversation. I just think so many guys are, t- are carefully choosing, you know, the graphic on their T-shirt, depending on what climate you're in. And, you know, what you don't want is the soft nips with the pit stains out at the okay. club. That is that's college 101. That's walking into the bar saying, "Hey, everybody, ignore me and make fun of me." <laughs> that's that's, that's it's so true, dude. What about superstition, man? You a superstitious uh, guy? I feel like all you guys are. You were very. Yeah, so I have to do everything left to right, which is weird. So, like when it comes to putting my clothes on, I go, you know, left arm first, right arm, and then left sock, right sock. Um, I used to have this superstition that every morning I would have to eat a McDonald's sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddle before I pitched in light of the fact that I was 280 pounds. <laughs> I had to eliminate that ritual because as a relief pitcher, I didn't know what days I was throwing. So I would have to, I would have to make the sacrifice and eat one of those every morning of every game day. I'm not even mad at you, honestly, because I just figure you're going to burn it off. But to, to your point, you don't know if you're going to be like relieving somebody or not day to day. The sticky stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. I just figure you got an opinion on it. We don't, you know, you're a pitcher. You pitch at a high level. You're watching everybody take their pants off and show people their belt every night. It feels like it's a new dance routine. What's going on there, and where do you stand on that? I mean, I think that the belt checks and everything like that's good for the game because you got to think, you know, a large viewership of the MLB is men. So, you know, if there's the opportunity for a professional baseball player to be hanging dong at the field. I feel like that would, uh, you know, influence a little bit more female viewership. Yeah. I personally true. never used stuff because when my ball spins, it flattens out and then it gets shelled. So just because I'm a low spin rate guy. So the way it works is like the sticky stuff makes it spin more. Right. And if it's, or it does that shit where when you throw your fastball, it looks like it's just going, it kind of looks like it's going up. If you have a low spin rate, your ball will sink more and it'll be kind of heavier. So I always like pitching on the low end side of things. Cause if I have a high spin rate, it just gets flat. 
If you went to App State <laughs> out of high school, then UMBC, then UVA, when did the throwing your glove as far as you possibly can come into play? Yeah, that's a cool move. Thank you. I appreciate that. But um, the summer of 2017, I was pitching in the Cal Ripken League, which, you know, it's a summer ball league that it's not the highest level of competition. So it's like, you know, go out, get your work in, have fun and shit. And we were in the championship game and I closed out the game. And the last play of the game was a ground ball to first base where I had to cover first, which it was immaculate that I beat any runner over there because yeah. I'm it's my least favorite play in baseball, I think. Get over. I think it should just <laughs> But um, while while I was running down, I got the ball, caught it, everything's fine, tag first, the kid's out, and he tried to slap my glove. I was pretty upset about it. And so I offered a few choice words for the individual about his integrity as a human being and mine. And I threw my glove and said, go get it, baby boy. <laughs> I just kind of stuck with it. One thing that came up a lot in the last week that you've spoken at length about was the NCAA stuff. For people that have, once you guys exited the tournament, just went to sleep, tell me what's going on and tell me what your take is. So as shocking as this may be, a lot of people have been watching the college world series, college baseball's booming. And naturally the NCAA thought, Hey, people haven't been saying anything about us lately. They're just talking about the team. So what we're going to do is we're going to blindside these motherfuckers and just bend them over a barrel and shaft them. So they did. And the fact of the matter is like, everyone says, Oh, if NC state just did protocols, just listen to protocols and none of this would have happened. And that's true because the NCAA tested vaccinated players, which was breaking the protocols. So technically, these people are right that if NC State adhered to the protocols, nothing would have happened. But not because, the way that they, that they think they mean. Yeah, exactly. So people are right, which is shocking because there's a lot of idiots out there, but they aren't right for the reasons they think. They're all, everyone's a health official now. I don't know if you guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this is a hospital. Did you know that? Yeah, pandemic broke out, and then, you know, Harvard was just handing out medical degrees. I don't even know if they have a medical system there. I don't know. I think but, they do, probably. They have to. Harvard has to. they got to have everything. I, but, yeah, so dished all those people on Twitter, and for some reason, people think I give a shit what they think about COVID in my Twitter. So I just kind of roll with it. You had another tweet uh, having to do with beer, the beer fridge thing. What were you saying with that with that picture? Um, I was saying that, you know, I may have gone out there on TV and admitted that I'm afraid of caves, but some caves, you know, sometimes your fears are just hiding the good things that are on the other side. I mean, think of the Goonies, for example. No, you're right, and that's uh, that's one of my favorite caves. We're going to fire a couple topics at you here. Dippin' Dots. Okay. There's a shortage because I tried to get some Dippin' Dots today. Literally the only place in Charlottesville you can get them is in, like, cafeteria so where do i find dippin dots in sebo um so if you go to the 7-eleven off ivy road they have a little container that you can get them in okay i'm going there right after this aliens you want to talk to him about aliens we got to yeah. get his take on aliens so the dod just finally re released their report on aliens mm -hmm. it's a nine-page article and it basically says out of hundreds there's hundreds we can't explain whatsoever, and they classify all of them. Uh, I'm personally a pro-alien guy. Where do you sit on aliens? 
I think they definitely exist, but I also feel like they probably wouldn't care too much to come down to earth. They probably, I mean, everyone thinks about aliens and they're all futuristic and like they have hovercrafts and shit like that. I feel like every other alien population probably has it a little bit better. So why would they waste their time? Yeah, why now? would you pick Earth? That's what vacation. I'm saying. I think they're here on safari, Steve. Because <laughs> it's I, not a vacation. I, I don't think like I don't think they're considering coming here. They came this far. Think of how good their technology is. They don't need anything we have. Like this is just another planet to them. Yeah, and they're just like, okay, look, this is. Uh, it's kind of like we're the we're the panhandle of Florida to them, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, man, I'm going to head down to Orlando and we're going to drive right by it and probably not stop in there. Exactly. That's probably doing dope shit on like Mars or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if the aliens came down and you could make them watch one baseball player, who would it be? One baseball player? Uh, probably Bartolo Colon. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like if this guy's one of their best athletes, then then what the hell are the super fit guys like? You know. Yeah. Spe- speaking of in Bromahall, you ran into Michael Phelps. Does that fellow have a personality to him? Yeah, he was a uh, he was pretty interesting. I only talked to him for a few seconds, but he was holding this like metal sculpture of a dinosaur. That like I was really thrown off by that. Like I was like, Hey, that's Michael Phelps. And what the fuck is that thing? You know, (laughs) it just kind of blew my mind. What kind of dinosaur was it? Had to be a T-Rex. It was just a T-Rex, you know, basic. It was just a basic city dinosaur. What's your favorite dinosaur? Uh, I really like brontosauruses. I think they're dope. I like to imagine that they fight each other with their necks. I don't think they did though. I, they haven't found they, they have found any evidence, but I'm good. I'm good to go with that. They're strong and silent to me. Yeah, and I like that. This the sneaky killer. The sneaky killer. So Michael Phelps was cool. Who's the coolest person that you've noticed knows you exist? Because that was a moment for me when I got like uh, when when people start recognizing me, I was like, oh, that person watches me play. <laughs> Um, so D Gordon, he DM me on Instagram and was like, he had posted me on his story, like my interview and messaged me and like said some really nice things. And I was like, oh, Holy shit. You're D Gordon. Like, why do I own any area in your brain? Cause of Omaha bro. Cause of Omaha. But now next, what is it for you? Because you obviously have a personality. You can do a lot of different things. Do you want to keep playing baseball? Are you going to, you know, do some crazy content? What are you doing, man? Yeah, I honestly, I have no clue right now. I mean, I'm just a big go with the flow kind of guy, which, you know, a lot of people tell me, you know, be proactive, but I kind of like to just hang out. Um, I would love for baseball to work out. I don't know what all the suits who decide whether or not I'm good or not come draft time are going to do. So I'm interested to see that, but I also want to just, you know, keep making content and keep, just putting funny stuff out there and making people happy. Do you think that you could handle, like if it didn't work out in the majors, like the big bigs, could you do like 15 years and double and triple a and have fun? I, I would definitely be able to have fun, but also that fun would come with so many stressful moments of yeah. just like not being able to afford things, kind of putting your life on hold. So I, I get way more excited for the debuts of the guys who have like been in the system for like, 10 years than I do like the top prospects. Cause like you just know that they struggled so much to get to where they're at. So you just have level of respect for them. 
Well, if you find yourself back here in Charlottesville, Stephen, come join us. Studio J. Studio J. Uh, we can we can make some content. We can bullshit around a little bit. You know where to find us. We are uh, we are downtown here. Do you know where uh, Moe's is? Moe's. Barbecue spot? Yeah, yeah. You look a little older than the average college kid, so I figure you could really get away with the downtown mall, which is evidently where we met, not Amsterdam. <laughs> you know you know what's yeah. funny about the, the Amsterdam thing is I had this one fucked up jacket that I thought was cool for like a couple months, and you caught me in that window where the only time I ever remembered wearing it was Amsterdam, but evidently I wore it to Miller's too. <laughs> It was a good-looking jacket. It wasn't that fucked yeah, up. Yeah, no, it was decent-looking. It was just, just a big chance for Charlottesville. It was a, we'll post it on on uh, on a social or something so you can be the judge of the jacket. But for the second time, we've gotten to hang out. Uh, definitely not a disappointment. Appreciate you so much for coming on. And, uh, and come back again, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for having me. I had a lot of fun. Of course. Wahoo-wah, man. Wahoo-wah. So that was fun. I mean, like, what a run for that kid, huh? Like, uh... And what a story arc between you two. Because as you told it to me, <laughs> hey, I met this guy, Scooch, in Amsterdam. Oh, bro, I was convinced I met him in Amsterdam. <laughs> when really his name's Shock, and it was Miller's on the downtown mall. <laughs> you told me the same thing about Amsterdam. Yeah, I told him about uh, Amsterdam. I was waiting for a photo of Amsterdam. Yeah, dude. He dropped Miller's, and I was like... Well, I was, too. I was like, this is going to be an all-timer. We were both <laughs> in Amsterdam. <laughs> but whoever the fucking kids that look like Shock in Amsterdam. Who, Show yourself. UVA. Did, yeah. Admit it. We met. I mean, it was just like I was so sure. I had pieced it together. I always go to Amsterdam on the way to Killy. Well, anywhere I can stop on the way to anywhere in Amsterdam. I just like the city. It's not even about the marijuana. It's not even like people like make it this. But you can't even. I don't think I've gone in and bought any. I bought reefer once in Amsterdam. It's not like as easy as they make it sound. But I stumbled into this bar and evidently it was pretty hazy because I thought I thought Big Donkey was in there. <laughs> but about like the kid, I think when you look back at this run, I think what makes like college runs like cool are the personalities. Yes. And so like having a kid that you remember, like I remember when he kept it loose and I think every team needs that, especially I'm sure baseball teams and him being an older guy. Uh, he looks like he could be like an uncle to some of these kids. I think he was perfect for him. Well, and it allows all the other guys to focus on ball because there's a media scrum around the big donkey. And the Virginia team, 4-12 and 12 at one point in the ACC, yeah, despite yeah. being preseason top five, yeah, 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 yeah. rebounds, makes it all the way to the College World Series. Low-key, maybe the toughest tournament to win in college sports, yeah. this baseball tourney. Hey, we're going to break down a football movie now. Necessary Roughness, you seen it? Nah, I'm going to peace. Okay, well, you can peace out and me and uh, Ebert here... <laughs> or are you Siskel? I don't know which one. We're going to break down uh, Necessary Roughness, and Make will be back later in the week. Now, let's analyze what's been working for us. Not a goddamn thing's been working for us. Like, this goddamn suit doesn't work for me, and this stinking tie, and this goddamn shirt, it doesn't work for me! You know how to play winning hard those footballs? You play football like Engineero played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a 140 pound halfback and he played like a goddamn wild man. No, like a goddamn rampaging beast. And that's the way you gotta do it. You go out there, you tear their fucking heads off and you shit down their necks. Let us pray. So yeah, this is an aftershock. This is the segment aftershock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting to say that. So we're, we did remember the Titans last week, which 
objectively to me kind of sucked. It was watchable, but it kind of sucked. I wouldn't watch it a third time. No. That was the second time I'd ever seen the movie. I won't watch it a third time. You won't talk me into it. No. Necessary roughness now. This week. I finished watching it this morning, okay? I enjoyed it. But yeah. I, it's, it, it, it's, it is what it is, right? Like, the movie is not selling itself as being some, like, ultra-deep, thoughtful narration Correct. on college football. Correct. It is based on the SMU scandal. So basically the plot of this movie, Necessary Roughness, if you haven't seen it, and there are spoilers coming. And I've never seen the movie. I was told, definitely got to go watch it. Saw that it was like 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not usually a good sign. <laughs> but with a 90s movie like that that's about football, it's supposed to be kind of a meatball comedy. It worked. It worked. You know, the plot moved from thing to thing. Yep. They didn't spend too much time on anything. There was a lot of things that were telegraphed, the whole nine yards. But the thing's based on SMU, and the plot of the movie is, uh, listen, this uh, Texas State, and they look just like North Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, this school has has broken the rules. They've cheated. Yep, they need a cleanup man, and and they got this coach with a mustache who's... Who's like clean as a whistle. He's the cleanup man. That's what they know him to be. Like the AD hired him on site after an interview where they just drugged the school through the mud. The guy was shitting on the school. And then it was the like AD the Pony Express in. 30 for 30. Guy comes yes. right off of that 30 for 30. He's like, you're my man. Yes, you're my man. Like, literally, I don't care if you win a game, but we just want to run a clean program. So we can have a program, which makes no sense, actually. Cost-benefit analysis would tell you with running college football programs, like, why just do it to do it? Anyways, it's based on SMU, and everybody remembers the sanctions when they got the death penalty in yep. the late 80s. So... There is some truth to the movie, but it's not like uh, it's not a serious movie. It's not that good, but it's exactly what it was promised to be, in my opinion. My opinion, it was. I, I appreciated it for the. I remember watching it in the '90s, and it was just a funny movie. It was a way. It was like the perfect airplane movie, where you're like on an airplane to Hawaii or something, yeah. and you got to pick something. It's not too long. It's not too it's big mindless. Of a commitment. It's an hour forty or whatever it is. It's mindless. You you don't have to do any deep thought. You can chuckle at some stuff. And for me, it's all about Kathy Ireland. It is, and you had to wait exactly. Do you know how long to see Kathy Ireland? I don't know. And uh, sixty-one minutes. Oh my god! Yeah, it was like the, to celebrate an hour of necessary roughness. They brought Kathy Ireland on. Yeah, and by the way, like immediately, I was like, I remember getting that swimsuit issue. Oh my gosh, dude! But Kathy Ireland was unbelievable. Probably still is. Like, listen, and she was much needed because the worst football scene in the whole movie was the was the kicker just drilling. The, the offensive line's back with an extra point. <laughs> I've always wondered what it feels like as the long snapper to get a... Imagine like a, like Greg the leg. Yeah. At like 50 Greg, when, he's, line, yeah. when he goes all in. Yeah. And he just happens to pipe that right up your butt. Like I don't know. I, and the, the, the verbiage is interesting there. But yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> that, definitely, that definitely would hurt. And here was the thing about Kathy Ireland. I mean, like, what... I mean, there's just a, a, a girl like that who can kick a football through the uprights. That I mean, looks, from an athletic looks like that. Like, it was just unbelievable. And you know what was unbelievable about the whole movie? I get it's Texas, but you got beautiful professor. You've got, remember the workout class? They were all dimes in that workout class. Yes. Everybody was in shape. <laughs> like, literally, everybody was in shape. I know it was the 80s, and people did a lot of, like, jazzercise and shit. The rate on beautiful women in that, that class That you pan across before you see them. And you know what? Here's the thing about talking about beautiful women in the early 90s. 
I can't get in trouble. It's not who they are anymore. So if my lovely wife's listening to this and I say, oh man, Kathy Ireland was a smoke, smoke show, show in Necessary Roughness. It, first, it's undeniable, but it's not that big a deal. That was 1991. She looks different now. The only thing that got me was the athleticism of her kicking the extra the field. I goal. think they played up her unathleticism, which I think was fucked up. Like I think they made her try to look like laborious kicking that ball, and like the kicks were great, but the run up to the kicks, I was like, oh no, goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what? It's pretty cool. Some foreshadowing. We had a Vandy female kicker this year. Yeah. I mean, like, so we're there. I mean, that's exciting. Uh, Bateman, by, by the way, Jason Bateman's in this movie. And so is like, like a very young Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. And you can see his SNL skit. Yes. Rob Schneider blew me away because young Rob Schneider had Miles Teller vibes. Yeah. And, he, and you could see, like, the later movies that Rob Schneider would do. Yeah. And, like, his SNL skits. You could kind of see him in his, in his press conference. Like, his... Uh, what do you call him? Yeah, well, he's so dry and so sarcastic. I mean, I remember the one time he's like, you only had eight men to beat. Like, <laughs> he was just shitting on the team. I, I uh, But he was perfectly cast. Rob Schneider was perfectly cast before he was like Rob Schneider. Kathy Ireland was perfectly cast. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought... The, the Samoan? The Manu. Yeah. He's my favorite. L like, listen, this movie was cast very well. Yes. And there were a lot of likable characters. Whereas last week, remember the Titans? I was like, oh, this movie, like, it's hard to like anybody in this movie. <laughs> of course, it dealt with racism and that sort of thing. So, but Manu was one of my favorites. The coaches, okay? Yes. The coaches were a strength of the movie. The coaches were a strength of the movie because they were the type of guys that you'd want to hang out with. They were like real football coaches, ex extremely dry, like great sense of humor. Like everything wasn't taken too serious. Like there, there's this kind of like fatalistic air about being a football coach. Yeah. Like just shit's gonna go wrong, especially when you're coaching somewhere like uh, Texas State and you've got to field a team of 17 kids who weren't on scholarship the year before because the program got essentially a death sentence. So they're out there recruiting kids. They're going to uh, what's his name's house? Scott Paul. Bakula. Scott Scott Bakula. Is that how you say his name? I think. But is it Bakula or Bakula? I think it's Bacula. I don't know. I don't, Count, Count Bacula. Yeah, so, Count Bacula was out there in the field, blue 32, blue 32, hitting a fucking scarecrow. <laughs> I mean, he was like, he was Uncle Drilling Rico. It. He was Uncle Rico per personified. But the thing that struck me was when I was like, oh my God, my daughter has been into NCIS New Orleans. Yeah. And I'm looking at him there and there, and I'm That's like. That's where he is yeah, now? Dude hasn't aged. He looks the same. No, he hasn't aged. And you know what was funny about the thing? I think he, was, he said he was 34, but he was probably about 37, if I did the math correctly, looking it up. At first, like all these other f football movies, I'm like, oh, fuck. Is Scott Bakula going to be like, is he going to be like the Gary Bertier of the world where they're just trying to sell you on the fact that this 35-year-old is in college? Or like, uh, you know, our guy, any of those guys from Remember the Titan. They were way old. We, yeah. we talked about that. No, it made sense. He was a washed up, but like prolific quarterback from at that point, the 80s that played high school football, nothing beyond it because his dad died. So they go out to recruit him. One of the best lines was maybe you should just be a 34 year old quarterback. It should stay here with all your high school trophies. That was the classic 90s like. I'm going to change your mind on a big life decision with just one barb. Yeah. And then the guy just sits there and looks down at his boots. Yeah. And you know the wheels are turning. And at that point, you know he's convinced. And people were so easy to convince a shit in the 90s, bro, in movies. <laughs> like, it was just unbelievable. This guy's like, no, I'm happy here on the farm. I don't want to go, like, get Like, CT who's going to take care of the farm while you're doing dorm. this? But in actuality, that's the best thing you could have done. He was single, right? Mm -hmm. Presumably no wife. 
he was just a farmer. Like, why wouldn't you want to go to college? He never got to go to college in the first place. This is like Nate Boyer, who's my buddy, who's a Green Beret, you know all about him, went to play at Texas at like 30. He was Scott Bakula because he was out, you know, defending our country, came back and was like, I want to play college football. What I was saying about the coaches was they're perfect because they were terrible football coaches, but they were perfect football coaches off the field. They were like the type of coaches you want to get a beer with. And they had a great relationship, unlike Denzel and the other guy last week. Yeah. I mean, they, Boom. O&D. O&D. They, they had it split down the middle. They had very contrasting styles and personalities. Yep. You had the one guy who was in Scarface. Remember, he was the Cuban kingpin in Scarface, oh. and now he was the D coordinator. I didn't realize that. And then you had another guy with a mustache that looked like he could have been in a Bronx Tale and anything else in between, yeah. but somehow they found themselves in Texas. The other guy was actually in a, prin- in a princess diary. Oh, he, oh, 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 oh. He, he was the assistant yeah. to the yeah. queen of whatever that... That's where I, I was like, why do I know this? It's like damn kids. They've like kid movies have filled up too much of my brain now. But they, but they did have that dryness about them that was perfect for college football coaches or any coaches. Like after the heart attack, quote unquote, before the last game, uh, Wally comes in and introduces himself like he, like he didn't recognize him. Like the joke was that you're really fucked up, even though he thinks he had a heart attack. He's busting the guy's balls. Like yeah. that's that's football coaches. Uh, he said, I charge these flowers to your room. Like, that's football coaches. <laughs> you know, I thought they were funny, but they had no discipline on their team. Everybody's helmets was unbuckled during practice. Like, the terminology, fly pattern right. They said fly pattern right like seven times. Yeah. Like, they ran out of routes in the script. Like, but they weren't going to teach 17 kids that have never played football before a whole tree. I know, but the least it's you like can you, do. I'm sure they could have been drawing it up in the sand. It would have been believable. Yes, but you, when you draw shit up in the sand, you don't have quadruple coverage in the word, words of Rob Snyder on one end of the field. If you can see <laughs> the quad coverage on one side of the field from the press box and you're Rob Snyder, like, those kids should be able to know the basics. And he didn't even get them lined up. We were doing a headbutting drill. They were just doing a headbutting drill in practice. Bro, we used to do the headbutting thing, me and James Laronitis, before games to try to wake up, like on the sideline. And by late in my career, I was like, this is a bit ritualistic and not as cool as it seemed when I was 23. Maybe I should stop. There was a guy named Chuck Cecil. He was a man of a, like, just torpedo free safety in the 80s, played for Green Bay. They damn near outlawed this motherfucker. He was one of our coaches on the Jeff Fisher staff, and he loved to do the headbutt thing. He would run up after me and James Laronitis headbutted, grab me by the face mask, and headbutt me. And one time, he started bleeding. Are you serious? Right before a noon game at the Edward Jones Dome. It was so good there were no cameras. Like, nobody was paying attention, thank God, because he would have gone viral with a streak of blood coming down his face. <laughs> I, but that was the type of 80s shit that was going on well, in that practice. I mean... But to just, your point on the coaches, I, yeah. one of my favorite scenes was the uh, bar fight. Bar fight was good. It was very like cliche college. Like the sheriff comes in and cleans it up. They didn't do that at Virginia. Like they, <laughs> the local police weren't looking out for us if we got into trouble. And Dean Elias was the classic douche. Oh, he was perfectly, perfectly, perfectly cast as the classic douchebag. Classic douche. Shows he was up a all sexual happy. predator. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, by the way, like how fucked up was his whole like leveraging his position at the school with the teacher that like the, the teacher. quarterback? Yeah. It was bad, and they were kind of like, oh, that's a joke. That also shows how, how far we've come yes, in agreed. 30 years. But I just thought the self-respect speech was weak. They were kind of laissez-faire about everything. They let a player play with no pads. They let Sinbad just eat veggies. A guy's out there doing kung fu shit. They're like, whatever whatever goes. But that's what I like. They, they knew they were in a fucked up situation. They were institutionalized. These coaches, any coach would turn down that job. But coaches get institutionalized 
and they can't not coach football. Yeah, they miss it too much. They're too like so. That's what I took that relationship and that that decision making of taking that job to be. God, that kung fu scene where <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> It was unbelievable. What was the one where wasn't it? Who was in the NFL drop kick somebody once? Oh, I think it was an accident, quote unquote. Yes. It was a wide receiver, I want to say. Do you guys remember a wasn't drop it kick? the Steelers? Antonio Brown. Antonio, Antonio Brown kicked, kicked the punter. Yes, dude. It was exactly <laughs> like that. And then the official in the last game was like, which I thought was actually pretty funny. There were a few really good lines in this movie. He said. Uh, Takatami and sword block to the <laughs> never mind. He like, went through this whole thing, dude. <laughs> and he was going through every name of yeah. He was like sidekick, blah blah blah. I like that cracked me up. But the the best line and maybe my favorite scene. I don't know about you was when the prisoners came up. It was so short and so out of place. But they made those guys look like fucking just the scariest. Jim Kelly people. had a do rag on. Jim Kelly had a do rag on. You had Dick Buckus who acted as well as anybody in the movie. Well, and my, the, in that scene, he's like, uh, he's like, gentlemen, it's nice to be on your field. Yeah. Uh, since it's your home field, why yeah. don't you have ball first? Yeah. And you're like, how's this going to play out? But it was perfect. Like the comedic element to it was yeah. great. And he acted it so well. And they really just beat the shit out of those yeah, like, guys. In before the, the snap even came. So I'm like, oh, we're going to actually play. That, and then the before the snap, they're beating the shit out of they're everybody. They're just beating them up. And, and uh, Herschel Walker, it's amazing looking back at that cat and being like, oh, he totally lost his mind. And I could see it in his, his stare. <laughs> like, he totally lost his mind in the last, like, five years, right? And in 1991, I could see it in his, in his eyes. He was just, he was a little off. I mean... The, the craziest, most prophetic, fucked up thing, I don't know if you caught this, was Holyfield saying, I swallowed a finger out there. I did. And and, and he and, still had the ear. He, his he ear still had, had his ear. Yeah. That was 91. Yeah. That was weird. I, I mean, caught that. The best line was Sinbad lining up. I believe you're all innocent, man. I, <laughs> I truly do. I mean that. I truly do. <laughs> I mean that. So I love that scene. I love seeing Jason Bateman. He delivers lines just like he does now yes. on Ozark. Yeah. Well, uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. I mean, he's been the same. Like he is. So his. He's been he, able to be in so much stuff. And his dry kind of humor and like his ability to like say a say kind of like a I, I, like he just he's funny without him trying to be funny. No, I mean it's, it's hilarious. Just he's bone dry. He's bone dry, and he delivers the same line. He delivers a line on Necessary Roughness that sounds just like the line on Ozark, but it, but you can use it for two totally different things. I got a C sounds like I buried him in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, So I was really happy to see Jason Bateman. Loved Manu. We talked about Manu. By the way, Manu's name is Peter Tuiasasopo. He was actually undrafted uh, with the Cardinals in the 80s and then played during the strike season for three games as a center. So really? kind of a little uh, reality or art imitating reality for that cat. Like yeah. he's been a replacement. He was a replacement there. And by the way, this movie was the replacements before it was the replacements. It yes. was on a college campus. That's all it was. That was playing on Hulu or something last night. And I was like, and it was just, I saw a fleeting image of Keanu. And I was like, I wonder if that's going to be yeah. one of the ones we'll do. No, we, we got to do the replacements. I'm really looking forward to doing the replacements, North Dallas 40, the whole nine yards. Um, I do want to say the locker room fight, there was a crossroads for this team. They were 0-5, and then they, they, they wanted to tie or win a game, so they were at the crossroads. And I think they lost actually their seventh straight game, and they go in the locker room, and some guy tells another guy to bang an armadillo or something. Yeah. It's like the, the weird lines that people use in movies. 
But the guys just start swinging on each other and it gets broken up so fast. And this like preceded the bar fight too. So they had a bunch of fights. And a lot of times I think fights do actually bring teams together. The fight was ridiculous in that they got over it so fast. If you fight in a locker room, like you throw punches at each other, dudes aren't going to be over it that fast. You know, it's going to so take a day or you're two. you're saying you can fight in the field. It's one thing. But when you fight in the locker room, that's a whole other thing. When you fight in the locker room, it becomes like it's spilled over and it's a bit more like man to man. Oh, you're now, you're now outside the lines. But I always looked at it like, hey, if you got in a scuffle or you're watching two guys get in a scuffle, you tried to, coaches always say, try to say, don't take it off the field. And I totally get that. But if you're fighting somebody on the field, to me, there's always the risk that it comes off the field. If you're punching somebody in the face, it already is personal. Yeah. And we had a fight in college that was like uh, in the locker room and our season did like take off from there hmm. you know like so i mean it happened right in the locker room and and dudes that are very tight now were were punching each other in the face <laughs> and you know it takes three four days to get over something like yeah. that but eventually when you do maybe if your team's built right and you have the right leadership you can come out on top and you can actually get something from it and in this very silly movie i like it. you know a lot of football movies it's it's either ten and zero, yeah, or zero oh and forever. But you win or tie the last game. Yep. And I like the build up of the last game. I thought they were probably going to have them lose the game in some like, hey, it's it's okay, or tie, you know, like fashion. But yeah. they they and by the way, they tied Kansas. You were tying games and shit back in the day. I didn't think you, that was a thing. I didn't think it was a thing either. But the the final game, how about the win or I'll die quote that yeah. Wally came in there with. <laughs> To talk about uh, the coach was, who had indigestion. indigestion. <laughs> I mean, that was legitimately a funny part. So I, I give the, the movie credit where credit's due. It was it was funny. It was mindless. It moved along. Perfect um, airplane movie. I give it a me. five out of ten, where I gave Titans like a four out of ten. But it's almost on a different scale because it's self evident this movie's right in the middle. Yes. You know. It. it so I'm calling it the perfect airplane movie. I'd give yep. it a five or six out of ten, in that. On an airplane with no other options besides like a litany of other, you know, yep. mindless movies. Yep. I'd select it. Absolutely would select it. And by the way, Philly special to win, I think. Some sort of Philly special. That's what they did to, yes. to score that touchdown. Yes. And then they run and, another trick play. Well, and then you have the flashback to the beginning yeah. farm scene yeah. and the number. Oh, yeah, which is just cliche, Corny, cliche, perfect football stuff. But throw it so hard that the guy can't knock. It just make turn his turn the catch into a sucking chest wound yeah so that he can't really not catch it somebody was throwing that game because there's no way they have that much time to throw just because in the second half uh wally told him he needs at least four seconds to throw back there paul which by the way golly i'd love to play in the 90s and the 80s it took four, it you took had four, four se seconds to get a sack An another thing is <laughs> like like with no adjustments 55 was literally humping paul the entire first half well, the so big... some of the early sacks were like a quarter of a second. Oh, yeah, dude. It was like they just let him run free. It was like when the racist, the uh, da yeah, the, the David Duke of the Remember the Titans team just let somebody go hit, uh, you know, our guy from the wire. Yep. You know, it was just like that, except they were like, why are you mad at Paul? And, and all <laughs> Wally had to say was give him more time. The adjustments were piss poor. They went from a quarter of a second could, to four seconds. I could go on. But but next, it wasn't about the football. Next movie, what should we watch? You pick. It's fun for me to go back and visit these. I want to I want to see a good movie. Okay. I want to watch North Dallas 40. I've never seen it. Okay, let's watch North Dallas 40 next. Got it.
book it. Done. Okay. Oh, can I say one more thing? Best part of the movie, most ridiculous part of the movie, was when Manu hit number 55 at the end of the game, and he started bleeding profusely out of his mouth immediately, like during the play. I'm just telling you, I have never seen a more ridiculous scene in a football movie. Didn't he knock his mask off or something? Bro, I'm just telling you, there was like dark red blood, which dark red blood I think means it's it's been there for a while. It's like coming, everybody knows that's like clotty blood. <laughs> like my man had like clotty blood. <laughs> he had a liter of clotty blood on his chin within uh, half a second of Manu hitting him. There has never been somebody hit that hard on a football field. That bleeds that quickly. number 55, but he had it coming to him. He did have it coming. I, I didn't notice the color of the blood. Manu was an all-star. He was the best character in the movie. Yeah. I was rooting for, I was rooting for him to get more than a kiss on the cheek from Kathy Ireland. But you know what? Manu was so cool. I was fine with him. He was just there to be supportive. I was and hoping I for a where the are they movie, now? I think we do a, I think they need a reboot with Manu and Kathy Ireland. I, where are they now? I was hope I was They're hoping married. for a where are they now? They're married. married. Yeah. They're married. Right. With like they're living in Samoa, they're married with eleven children. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, but we didn't get a where are they now? Peter Tuiasosopo deserves Kathy Ireland, a hundred percent. Cleared out that shower for her. Mm-hmm. He was a towel rack. Yeah. Y'all take care. <laughs>